Hello and welcome to episode 158 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode is called uh, Nindy Strike Again because, frankly, there is a ton of indie news this week, including the return of none other than No More Heroes with uh, Travis Strikes Again announced for Switch and a bit of a surprise. But uh, if I were to sum up this episode in one word, it wouldn't be indies, it wouldn't be nindies, it would be conventions. Because in this last two-week period since our last episode, we've had three separate major gaming conventions back to back to back and at each nintendo announced some sort of news that we're going to be discussing first there was gamescom in europe where they announced a new arms fighter among other things which we'll talk about later in the show there then there was gamestop expo in uh, vegas where a few game bundles were announced or maybe it was in anaheim this year i think it was in anaheim this year no it was in vegas this year vegas uh i could just do the podcast solo i'll just debate myself all night but um, no and then there's uh, also pax west which is like the big one, so to speak. If you listen to our last episode, you know we focused on a bunch of indie Switch games. I made a point at the time that Nintendo really ought to promote them better. Well, if I waited two weeks, that point would be moot because at PacWest they did just that. I like to think it was my doing. It was our whole conversation. Nintendo was listening. But honestly, they probably started prepping this thing months ago. So as much as I want to credit myself, realistically, I, Humble as I don't always. think we can. Humble as always. But yeah, so um, at PAX they had the Nindy Showcase presentation. They had Nindies at Night uh, demo event and live stream, which, by the way, I don't know if you watched it. That was like the most laid-back, like, chill video game presentation announcement live stream I've ever seen. It was really cool. Like, it was actually kind of fun to watch. Um, and then they also, of course, have game demos on the show floor of PAX West itself, which is going on right now in Seattle as we're recording this. So, long story short, for this episode, we're going to dedicate a good chunk of the show to all the indie announcements. Uh, we're going to talk about the other things I mentioned from the other conventions. We have thoughts on the NES Classic pre-order debacle. We have thoughts on Miiverse shutting down. Long story short, use timestamps at roundtown.com for episode 158 in the blog post if there's anything specific you want to hear. Because there's a lot crammed in here. Like, a lot, a lot. So, it might be in your best interest to skip around. But if not, we could just jump straight in with Nindy News. Get right to the meat and potatoes of it, if you will. Um... Or nin- yeah, indie, nindie, whatever you want to call it. Might as well start there. Um, so the not Nintendo Direct, Nintendo Direct, uh-huh. which are still great. I do like the Nindie Direct. It's not a direct; it's a showcase. Yeah. It's a seasonal showcase. But yeah, it, it. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but this showcase in particular and everything they were doing around it with like uh, the PAX events and Nindies at Night and whatnot, and the announcements that came out of it, like the quantity, the quality, the variety. It really kind of felt like a mini E3, sort of. Like, so much so that, like, i 3 Nintendo always does a direct, right? And then after the direct, they slip out extra fact sheets for games they didn't have time to put in the direct. So you get, like, one wave and then a second wave. And we got the exact same thing after the showcase. Like, it really did kind of feel E3-ish. I think in all, there are over 25 different games focusing primarily on new stuff. Not, like, that's not even counting, you know, the fact that they mentioned SteamWorld Dig and uh, Golf Story are both coming out this month, for example. Like, that's not even counting those. So it's kind of interesting that it was all just, like, new, 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 new. Like, for better or worse, a lot of games people probably wanted to see weren't there. Um, Ukulele was a no-show. Stardew Valley was a no-show. Pocket Rumble was a no-show. Runner 3, sort of a show, but got delayed till 2018. Um, in the case of Stardew and Pocket Rumble, I actually kind of get it. Stardew is at Nintendo weighing approval for going on the eShop. Pocket Rumble, uh, the, the publishers at Chucklefish are saying it's they're still trying to figure out uh, the netcode issues. So it's coming, it's just delayed. But but nonetheless, if you look past 
games people expected to see and then didn't see and then were disappointed they didn't see. Once you get past that hump, there's a lot of cool things to see. <laughs> like it was, it was an impressive presentation. I think. I mean, I would agree. One one thing I thought was really nice was the variety. Like we have on you in particular, Angel, have said on the show that like oh, every like all these indies and indies fall into this trap of like two D side scrolling platformer, two D arty side scrolling. Yeah, exactly. And and there were some. <laughs> there were some, but for some of those, it kind of like for games where it makes sense, it makes sense. But the problem was every single game was that at one point. But now like. There's actually different types of games. Well, I, mean, really there, I, mean, I mean, there is that other one that always pops up, the, the 2D artsy puzzle platformer, puzzle. Mm-hmm. 2D, yeah, they're all 2D, riffs on 2D the 2D same. puzzle game. They're all riffs on kind of the same uh, yeah. Especially genre. like, um, I forgot the name of the game, but it's basically optical illusions. You're walking around on things that look like you shouldn't be able to walk around. Oh, in. the game that's based on MC, MC Escher art. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just, I forgot what it's called, but I know what you're talking about. It just, it just um, it, it's pretty much Echo Chrome, the PSP game where you're doing the same thing just without mm-hmm. that aesthetic. It's more 3D. But yeah, I think I think though that like for every game like that, there were so many that stood out that weren't like that. Like it was kind of crazy. That no, but in, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's the thing exactly. Yeah, there were so many things to get excited about, and just yeah, like the variety. Like you went, you had to go from shooters to first person games to I don't know. I mean, crazy. literally, yeah, it went from like it went from that hack and slash first person game away to like. A 3D platformer that looks kind of like a you know late 90s platformer where you control a cardboard box trying to reach its parcel destination. Like you're delivering yourself to its destination. I don't know. I have like personal issues with that one. Well, I'm, I'm not yeah. saying necessarily oh, no, that yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like good or bad. I'm saying like the fact that we went from away to – I think it's called Unbox to stuff like um, uh, Next Up Hero, which is from the creator of Scribblenauts where like you die – and then next person that comes to your spot because it's all uh, yeah, connected it's online, you you get that person as your AI, the dead person. Yeah, definitely interesting concept. Yeah, and then you have like and more shump shooters, but like this one uh, that they showed Earth Atlantis, I think it was called, is like really cool line art. Looks like it's like kind of an eighteen hundreds like diagram or something. And then you get like from there, you go into like these full fledged 3D remakes of games from like the PS2 era and PS1 era. Like Fear Effect and Road Trooper are coming back as like HD remasters now as indie games. When these be like major releases, like it's kind of crazy, just like the breadth of how much there is now. Oh, and I didn't even mention. Did you see Light Leichspeer? It's a German. It's <laughs> it's this like neon soaked '80s looking like German mythology themed side scrolling action thing game where you like you throw these laser spears and it's like super cartoony. It's sort of oddly super violent at the same time. It's all set to like German like disco techno music. Like it, lo- it looks ridiculous, but the point is like. In, like, a good way. But the point is, like, indies are kind of the new third party now. Like, I feel like we sort of touched on this last episode, but the sheer variety and the fact that we have, like, major games like Fear Effect that was, you know, a physical release on PS1 back in the day now coming to Switch as, like, a remaster. But it's indie or Rogue Trooper, again, as another example. Like, it's kind of – they really are picking up the mantle of what, like, a third party library yeah, used I mean, to be and the, and the production values i mean whether i mean i don't know how much is in their budget but some of them do look like they came from big budget studios mm-hmm. especially when those triple a studios make smaller games they pretty much look like indie games I yeah guess. like well, what ea originals is doing we're gonna talk about it later but ea originals is basically they're funding indie games well what was that game that came out of the switch on launch day or close to launch day that was like an rpg that looked like it could be an indie game but it was made by either square enix or... oh 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 uh, i am satsuna yeah that one yeah yeah square enix square enix has their whole uh, division i forgot what they call it but that's where lost sphere is coming out through it's through that it's sort of indie but sort of not it's actually developed by a square enix studio something tokyo but um yeah it's basically indie like this the line is blurring between indie and not indie and it's blurring more in the direction of indies getting way more 
like advanced than it is like third parties dumbing down, so to speak, which is kind of cool to see. It's also kind of interesting, I thought, that if you look at the games that were announced, there's kind of like these patterns emerging within the games, for example. And uh, this is actually a point made by one of our friends on Twitter that we both follow. But he was saying that uh, there's this uptick in more elaborate smartphone games kind of upscaling into like premium gaming experiences you can now play on like a real console like the Switch. I mean, we saw it specifically in a showcase with a game called Polybridge, which I'm actually pretty excited for. In Polybridge, it's kind of like it's kind of like World of Goo. Like you have a car and you get from point A to point B and you do it by solving physics puzzles and overcoming obstacles and challenges by like building a little bridge or building jumps for the car, that sort of thing. And uh, it's all like kind of engineering physics stuff. And the developers are promising there's going to be hundreds of pre-made levels, uh, the ability to create your own levels. And what's kind of interesting is this game started on mobile. It eventually, I believe, came to PC. On PC, you can actually access all these levels through Steam Workshop. So it's like a whole like uh, world of levels they just keep going to and getting more and more and more. And the Switch, while they haven't confirmed it, the Switch can hook into that too. A different indie game called uh, Yurnog is going to support its Steam Workshop level counterparts inside the Switch game. Like you could download from Steam in the Switch game. So if Polybridge does something like that, that'd be kind of cool. And it's, it's just interesting to see like a game that started on phones now on Switch. I think they didn't even know it was a smartphone game. Yeah, it's on iOS. I Actually, to be fair, I don't know if it started on phones or if it went... Uh, PC, then phone, then Switch, but it definitely has a presence on phones, yeah. Hmm. Um, but yeah, regard, regardless of like how they end up implementing PyBridge, I guess that the point is that's just one of like these multiple mobile first games that seem to be popping up on Switch. Like, Stuff Nintendo didn't even cover is there. I mean, there's the first like quote-unquote real racing game for Switch, Gear Club Unlimited. That's based on an iOS game. Or there's like one that's just announced called Pan Pan, which is this very monument value, uh, monument value looking adventure game, currently on iOS. And now it's coming to Switch. And in all these cases, to me at least, it seems like it allows developers to kind of essentially upscale their games. Not like graphically upscale them. They look pretty one-to-one, I would say. But in terms of like what they can offer, what sort of money they can make from it. Like Gear Club, for example, is going to be a physical release now. Interesting. Which is, you know, for a guy that has an iPhone game or a company with an iPhone game, that's kind of big. Or like uh, Pan Pan, they're going to charge a dollar more on Switch than they do on iOS. Presumably they're adding something for that dollar. But even then, like, it's all, even if they don't, like, it's such a different context to be on the eShop than to be on the Race to the Bottom app store or whatever, that, um, it, for better or worse, like, bringing them to Switch kind of gives developers a chance to, like, recoup some costs, and the context is so different that no one could really complain if they pay a little more. Because mm. you could always argue, oh, we had controller support, and it's a different environment, so we had to pay to port it. And they're like, all right. So it's just, like, a nice way for these games well, to kind of grow up right now, a bit. Well, there isn't as much competition. Exactly. That's the other really nice thing. Plus, like, for Nintendo, it's super smart because it lets them kind of bridge together these two different gaming worlds where you have, like, third-party games you can play on the go on Switch and smartphone games you can now play on your TV on Switch. So it's, like, this perfect hybrid. So it's really cool. And I actually think uh, Harmonix is super beat sports. I don't know if you saw much of that, but it kind of applies here, too. It's admittedly not a perfect example. Beat sports, the non-super version, originally was an Apple TV game, single-player Apple TV game versus, like, a whole game. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, however... It's on Switch with multiplayer support, uh, HD Rumble support, new songs, new levels, new characters. So it's just like they're taking what they did there and upscaling it into like a full-fledged like console release, and you get Super Beat Sports. I don't know. What, what do you think of it? You like rhythm games. Like do you, the concept of Beat Sports. Because all you do, for those who don't know, you use uh, the Joy-Con, or if you're playing on Apple TV, an Apple TV remote, and you're basically hitting, volleying, thwacking balls to the rhythm to do different mini games like baseball, volleyball, that sort of thing. You like rhythm games. Did it catch your eye, or is it like nah? It has my attention. I like the the art style, but 
that's pretty much it. I guess it's one of those wait and see ones. Like I'm not fully sold on it yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the art the, style. Maybe, no, I, I just said I like the art style. Oh, oh, oh! I don't. I they put out a teaser that was like a way cooler art style than the actual gameplay. Oh, um, I only haven't really seen much gameplay of it. I just remember the the teaser. No, the teaser's not the art style. Uh, the art style is actually a 3D polygon, like chibi characters. Well, I was gonna say that it's like sports centric, which kind of makes me like meh. Mm-hmm. Kind of mad about it, but it's like it's like cartoony sports. No, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Wii Sports. It's Wii Sports set to music, basically. It doesn't really help the argument, but yeah, yeah, I know it doesn't. But I mean, I'm I'm hope I'm looking forward to. I mean, like harmonics. It was just Wii Bowling, though. Oh, that's the game. I mean, that's still in Wii Sports. So yeah, wrong. But... <laughs> no, but I was gonna say like um, harmonics. I really like harmonics. I mean, Rock Band was cool. Guitar Hero when they were still doing that was cool. Like I, they do cool stuff. So I'm hopeful Super Beat Sports will fall into that bucket. But yeah, it's uh, the art style's a little. Don't put out a teaser that looks 10 times better than your final game. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah, if the game resembled anything about the teaser, then... It does not. Yeah. The te- yeah, the teaser made it seem like it was going to be like a quirky, rhythm-heaven-looking... Right? Like, fun fest, but... Not quite. Apparently it isn't. Well, it, it could very well be a fun fest, and it could very well be quirky, but it's not rhythm-heaven art style. That I could tell you. Well, I mean, or even the art style that we're portraying, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, um... But, you know, it's one of those things that, like, on Switch, I bet you, with multiplayer and everything, it's going to find a much bigger audience than it found on Apple TV. And it was an Apple TV launch game. Like, when Apple TV first started doing games, this was the one I know. I, I remember it was the same uh, press conference where they announced Mario Run, right? Um, it, Yes. It was either that one or the one before. I don't quite remember. But I think you're right. Oh, I remember seeing Oh, yeah, like, last fall. Yeah. Because that was the only time I saw footage for it a long yeah. time ago. And just thinking, like, huh, it's on Apple TV. I guess I'm not playing it. But... Yep, but now you can on Switch. And that's the power of premium have, mobile you? games getting upscaled to Switch. You could have. Why I could you? have. Um, we don't have any games on our Apple TV. It's mostly my parents' Apple TV. I don't really use it. So. Oh. Yeah. Well. Yeah. All right, then. I mean, I've watched a couple things on it, but not really. But anyway, uh, yeah, the the premium mobile game thing I brought up is kind of like the probably the clearest to find like bucket of new Nindies that we saw, you know, these last couple weeks. But um, I think a lot of the other things announced, just for the sake of organizing our thoughts here, they kind of fall into other buckets as well. Like, we can kind of categorize things just to make our way through this list. Because now we're getting into the individual games where we're actually, like, these are the ones we're really psyched about opposed to before. Where I'm like, here's a point I'm going to prove using some examples. Like, these are ones that don't necessarily prove anything. They're just cool-looking games. So we'll start, I guess, with uh, what we've dubbed the familiar, if you will. Like, these are the games that, above anything else, kind of embody what you initially think when you think indie game. You know, they're new takes on familiar genres. They're mostly 2D. They're probably nostalgic throwbacks in some way. Or maybe, maybe not. But yeah, they're kind of games that when you think indie, these come to mind. And perhaps one of the most familiar of the bunch is Super Meat Boy, arguably a poster child for indie gaming as a whole. And what's kind of funny is that this new Super Meat Boy Forever, which was announced as coming to Switch first in 2018, um, it's now even more familiar as an indie indie game for a second reason, which is it's basically a runner now. It's a Meat Boy stylized runner. Instead of being, you know... um, the meticulously designed bite-sized little levels you have to get through in exactly the right way because that's how they're designed to get through which was what original meat boy was all about um and you don't even control meat boy in this one he auto runs forward and all you do is press two buttons to jump kick dive punch and you're constantly moving and yeah i'm kind of curious you're the hugest meat boy fan i know your thoughts like is that bad good um i wouldn't say it's bad but the fact that it's an auto runner now automatically makes me less interested because you lose a lot of the, I guess you lose a lot of the difficulty. I mean, auto runners are, 
I don't know. I, I feel like their difficulty caps very easily. Like they can only be so hard. I feel like they can never be as hard as a game that does that isn't an auto runner. Like that is also a platformer, because I haven't experienced a game that isn't as hard. They as that. claim, they claim, Team Meat claims it's going to still be as difficult. They're doing a few things to make it so. I don't know if you agree with them. I don't know if you heard oh, about oh, them. Oh, no, no. I, I did hear them say that. I'm all like, I mean, I'm willing to try it. I mean, I like Meat Boy, but right. I also like Meat Boy when it was... That's the thing. Because, like, Meat Boy 1 was essentially, like, directed by Edmund McMillan. Like, he was, like, the like the driving force behind it. Like, mm-hmm. the level design. Mm-hmm. And there was another guy that he was working with, Tommy, that I think is now pretty much running... He is Team Meat. <laughs> yeah, now he's running Team Meat on his own. So, McMillan, like... I re- which I guess I could argue, debatably say like the reason why I liked Meat Boy is now on his own making End is Nigh which looks pretty much like a, what I would expect from Meat Boy and Isaac and whatever right right but so now yeah I mean I guess it's like a movie like a sequel that's directed by someone else and maybe it's not as good or maybe it could be better I, I mean, mean a- I mean Aliens and Aliens 2 kind of saw that phenomenon where the second one was still just as good as the first two and, two team meets credit though like I gotta give them credit they're trying like, I alluded that they're doing some stuff. For those who don't know, real quick, I know you obviously know because you're way on top of the Team Meat stuff. But for those who don't know, what they're claiming is they're not fully procedurally generated levels. They're calling them dynamically constructed. And what they're saying that means is you're not going to run into a situation where it's 50 saws in a row. The algorithms or the building blocks or whatever oh. it is they use are going to sort of stack in different ways. Yeah. Like, they're probably preset pieces no, that move yeah. around. I, I've, seen, I've seen that before in different games. Uh, which one? Well, 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 you think of that one other thing they're promising. Well, I guess Binding of Isaac kind of uses that where, um, yeah, essentially, yeah, it can't be completely randomized because yeah. if it was, then there could be a situation where you can't even beat it because it's an auto runner. Which is partly. So that means they have, yeah. yeah, they built segments of the game and they're just mixing magic puzzle pieces so that they're all beatable, but you just don't know what order you'll get. Right. Them. And what and what they're saying is that each time you go back to a level, you're going to play the levels multiple times because they're adding daily challenges. They're adding a new ranking system. They want you to replay stuff. And each time you go back to a level up to a certain point, of course, it will get significantly harder. Like the prior, the difficulty of the levels you have played before will ramp up. So it almost sounds like they're inserting new blocks, so to speak, new puzzle pieces every time you go back, which in theory, if you're being exposed to new pieces that are made to fit together in a way that feels natural... It's not going to be exactly the same, obviously, as original Meat Boy, but maybe there's hope that it won't just be a typical runner in that regard. Like, it seems like they're trying to get past the problematic parts of a typical runner. Yeah. Will they succeed? Who knows? But it seems like they're at least aware of all the issues you just raised and are maybe somehow trying to circumvent them, but it is still not true Meat Boy. I get that. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, the levels themselves look a lot longer and they don't have checkpoints, which... I mean, it's fine. I mean, that does make a game harder because you pretty much have to memorize the entire thing. And you did have to memorize the entire thing in old Mm -hmm. Meat Boy levels Mm -hmm. because, I mean, one hit and you're dead. But the difference is that Meat Boy levels were typically pretty short. You could beat them in usually less than a minute if, like, you've memorized the whole thing. And these look like they last, like, maybe two, three, sometimes even four minutes. Like, like they're just really long. To me, it sounds like... Which kind of worries me a little because sometimes like i don't know it just gets boring like if it's just too long like i like that meat boy kept the levels bite-sized but like the moment you finish one level you jump into the next one right away and just keep going it's like 14 levels in a row then a boss right and if you're playing in that order you almost don't even feel the transitions because it happens super fast and it might be the same case in this one but I don't know. I mean, it, it's a different game. It's just yeah, they're, they're it's claiming a completely it's a, different game. They're claiming it's a full fledged sequel, but it all sounds like they're targeting a different aspect of the game than what you necessarily want to see, or I mean, maybe pl- most Meat Boy fans. I mean, plot wise, it looks like a sequel. I mean, right? Meat Boy and um, Bandage Girl didn't have a kid in the first one. Yeah, and now, now there's the kid. Yeah, but but what I was gonna say is like, 
but they're claiming like in theory what they're doing makes it just as tough and like tough as nails like difficult as the first one but it sounds like perhaps at least in your mind and maybe the mind of other meat fans they're other fans of just meat products in general, they're, um, it sounds like they're almost targeting the wrong thing. Like, it's not about how difficult it was. It's about how tight it was in the little space, you know, in the little mini levels you had. So, so we'll see. I mean, I got to give them credit on one level. Like, I kind of think it's cool to see developers experimenting with auto runners in new ways. Like, it's such a tired genre to see them kind of come in and do different things. I mean, obviously, there's going to be pure, perfect auto runners always. Like, Runner 3, although granted, that's a rhythm runner, I guess. But even then, Runner 3 is a good example of, like, what a typical runner is. So it's kind of cool to see, like, the Meat Boy guys be like, well, what if we made one that, like, scales in difficulty? Or, like, there's another game called Descenders, which is ultimately a runner, but it's coming to, th- to Switch. It's a 3D downhill biking game where you're biking into the screen, like, full 3D, like a real real game, but it's procedurally generated levels, and you do tricks and stuff to, and get as far as you can in level each time, and each time it changes. So that's, like, it's ultimately a runner, but it's something different. So, like, it's cool to see developers experiment with that, Maybe they shouldn't have done it with Meat Boy of all things because that's going to upset fans. But it is nice to see developers be like, yeah, we know there's this tired genre. What well, if we put on, like, twist it a little or put it on its head a bit? Yeah, the only so. the only thing that, um, I don't know, I, I think overall is my, I guess, cautious issue with the game is that they're reusing the same. It sounds like, based on what I've heard and from what I've seen, it sounds like they're reusing the same overworld templates. Uh, and from what I heard, like, literally heard, like, because I was watching gameplay of it. Yeah. Um, the music sounded like they were using the same soundtrack from the PS4 port of Meat Boy, and the that's P- lazy. And the PS- <laughs> no offense, me. And, and then and the comments confirmed that it was like the exact same sound. Like, that's a bummer. And normally I wouldn't have an issue with that if I liked the soundtrack, but the original Meat Boy had I guess a soundtrack by a company by a band named like DB Soundworks, and I love that soundtrack. That soundtrack was amazing, and I would have loved to hear something new. Yeah, but when they, I don't know. I guess when Edmund McMillan left, they had they lost their rights to the music and they had to get someone else, and they completely redid the soundtrack. And I thought it was a lot worse than the original. But well, it, it's interesting. But that, now they're like, using the same soundtrack again. It's almost like Meat Boy Redux. Yeah, that's what, well because originally it started as a smartphone through, game, right? Yeah, it was a smartphone. So game. and then it was shelved before it came out. Honestly, as a smartphone game, like this makes I, sense. I, I would love. To to have that like i would imagine yeah. like oh just meet boy on my phone that's it makes sense like it how so it's I, almost more how i would go. not want it to be a position plan because I, you can't do that with a phone yeah so but now that i have now that it's on the switch and i have these buttons that i'm not gonna use the way i would expect them to because i'm just using two i don't know it, it feels like it sounds like a spin-off they're trying to push as a full sequel because they already had it half done before they shelved it on phones. yeah but, I mean, for, for Meat Boy fans that just want Meat Boy on their Switch, I mean, the good news is, granted, you've played it before, but the original Super Meat Boy is going to be on Switch this year, so at least there is a true Meat Boy experience. But, yeah, it sounds like you at least would like to see Meat Boy 2, not Meat Boy Runner. Yeah, forever. honestly, like, I mean, since the regular Meat Boy is coming, I may actually just rebuy Meat Boy and just kind of skip this one for now. Well, I, who knows? Maybe reviews would be really positive. Maybe they found Maybe. the right formula. That, that's the thing. It's like they're well, trying I mean, something new, so it's hard to what's, say What's now, the thing? But... Like, I mean, if, it, if it's ever going to come to smartphone devices or whatever, I'd rather just get it on that. Like, I don't really want that game on my Switch. That's is what, is what I'm saying. It is coming to smartphones. I, iOS and Android is confirmed, yeah. No, I'll just As is PS4 and Xbox, but pre- premieres on Switch I'll just in early on iPad, even better. There you go. Yeah. So that's Meat Boy. <laughs> it's funny because we're, like, we're going to talk about games we're excited for, and it's like, well, Meat Boy was a disappointment. But, <laughs> but it's more like, I think it's cool that Meat Boy sequel is now. N- Nintendo never had any of these games on Wii U. Or I mean, Wii. the game they could were, like, still be to put fun and great. On. Like, I'm sure I'll still enjoy it, but. It's not the pure experience you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd say alongside Auto Runners, 
um like alongside stuff like meat boy forever perhaps the biggest type of indie game that is typical like indie as in the bucket of familiar as we're calling it are nostalgic throwbacks right like we've seen countless 8-bit 16-bit platformers uh they're, they're not they're always kind of the same like nes super nes genesis what we don't see very much of though are games that reference the game boy and I don't know. I feel like I've seen more. There's like, like there's like in two. the last few years. Yeah, yeah, because everyone started realizing there's not that many, but there's still only like two or Maybe three. There's a reason why. It's yeah, an I inferior mean, NES. Well, yeah, I, I kind of get why. Like it's limited color palette. So it's easier to produce. Nobody can like what? It's easier to produce. Yeah. Well, not necessarily, because you still have to match that art style. Like at this day, in this day and age, is it much harder to make a 16-bit game or an or, a, or an 8-bit game or a Game Boy game? They're both 8-bit. Yeah, just I mean, I don't ways. know. I mean. When, when I, whenever I hear about this, it always feels like a cop-out. Like, I don't want to design something hard if somebody's going to restrict, quote-unquote, restrict myself. But, I mean... But that depends what they do with it. I know, I know no, you're right. Some that are just like, hey, I made a platformer, like a simple Mario, but guys, it's only black and white. It's like, okay. But no, this, the one I'm getting at here, I'm actually kind of interested no, in when because it's done it goes right, beyond that. No, when it's done right, it's awesome. When yeah. it's not, you could tell when it just... Yeah, like phoned in, I guess. Yeah, because like this one, this one's called Save Me Mr. Taco or Taco. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Um, And it kind of, to me, this is how you properly do a throwback to like the old Game Boy games. Because it's a pretty elaborate game from the sound of things. I mean, first of all, before I get to what makes it elaborate, uh, just so you know, it's a game that stars an octopus wearing a hat. And um, it's limited to four colors like a Game Boy game, but the four colors change. So like, just like if you plug your Game Boy game into a Game Boy color and you can pick like which... uh, tint you want if you remember doing that back in the yeah. day like red blue yellow so like depending inverted. on the level <laughs> what inverted yeah so depending oh yeah inverted was always the weird one uh depending on which level you're on the colors will change kind of like that um but and the music's also very game boy like it's using the same chipset or, or mimicking that chipset but uh none of that matters if the game itself is interesting like you were saying so that i think is what's kind of cool about this is the game does seem kind of interesting it's made by a single dude one guy uh a gentleman named christophe galati he is French, so I don't know why I put an Italian accent on his name. But either way, he uh, – and what he's basically doing here is making what almost looks like a mix of Metroid 2 and Kirby. And that's why I'm kind of like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like there's 19 bosses across 16 dungeons, uh, like side-scrolling, kind of Metroid-y, go-any-which-way dungeons. And you are playing as this octopus in a hat, as I mentioned, who is trying to unite humans – and octopi who are apparently at war with one another. I don't know why, but you do it by um, essentially... The prequel to Splatoon or something? Huh? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe this is the origin story of Splatoon, or the Octolings at least. And then you, you, to to achieve your goal, you wear different hats. So there are 50 different hats, each with different powers that range from shooting arrows to spitting puppies out of your mouth. I I don't know. But I mean, if it really is all it takes to save the world is um, an octopus that shoots puppies... We're clearly doing something wrong with our current world if we don't have those. But um, but yeah, the whole the whole game just kind of comes off as this Metroid Kirby mashup, like I was saying. Because like the the hat reminds me a lot of different Kirby powers. Because you know you, you you wear different hats, you gather different hats, you do different things. But then the exploration is very Metroid. So it looks pretty cool to me. It seems like an interesting kind of hybrid of the two. Um, and like like I said, for me at least, I don't mind it being Game Boy themed because we don't. I haven't seen a ton of those. I haven't played very many of those. So. Yeah, I'm pretty much in for the octopus that shoots puppies, and the rest is just nice add-ons. But but yeah, I don't know. It just it looked cool to me. It, it's one that didn't, Nintendo didn't really give much attention to. It wasn't in the presentation or anything, but it's it seems like a fun little game. And I bet you can't guess who's publishing it. It's everyone's favorite indie publisher. I knew because I saw the trailer earlier today, but I forgot. Nicholas. Oh, of Nicholas. course. Nicholas does everything. And it'll be on fourth quarter, and since it is Nicholas, 
I assume that means we're probably going to get a physical release too, since every other game of theirs is gang. I'm usually with special items on day one. Like, it'll do two is gang, all sorts of special day one stuff. So, so yeah, we'll see. But it, uh, yeah, to me, it just, there's nothing else like it, at least on the Switch. So, it looks kind of fun. Um, yeah, so that that's that. If you prefer throwbacks that aren't Game Boy themed and aren't, as you put it, cop outs, uh, perhaps you like one that's more Zelda vibe. Perhaps you like one that um, is absolutely adorable, like Yolo, uh, Yolo, <laughs> Yono. And you know, by the way, every time I was typing out the outline and I wrote Yono, my computer auto corrected it to Yolo. And I was like, first of all, why does my computer know Yolo? Did Apple actually add that to the dictionary? Because I never say Yolo in text or anything. But beside, that's beside the point. Yono and the Celestial Elephants is the game I'm talking about. It is so adorable. It's straight up Zelda, like through and through. I mean, it's, people are dubbing it Zelda Fint because it really looks like Zelda. Like, uh, there are sliding puzzles. The elephant's trunk can be used to shoot different things fire, water, peanuts, etc., etc. Um, there's enemies you fight by headbanging into them. There's boss fights you do. There's literally a chicken fetching side quest that they show in the trailer, just like Zelda. It's like if, if you take Spirit Tracks or, um, phantom hourglass and take that kind of isometric 3d tilted zelda put an elephant in it and make it ridiculously over the top adorable like maybe put like some captain toad aesthetics in there you get yo i almost said yolo again you get yono and the celestial elephant which looks really cool it's out in like a month it's out october 12th it's pretty soon quite the turnaround time yeah so like i'm pretty excited for that one um unless reviews are absolutely awful i'm pretty sure i'm getting to take one and i doubt reviews are gonna be awful like it's hard to screw up i mean there it's not the longest game it sounds like it's only gonna be um Three dungeons with three bosses, and then four towns that have a bunch of side quests. Oh, but that's still, yeah, it's something I can beat, like Link Between Worlds. So yeah, I, I'm excited for it. Um, yes, yeah, so that's kind of one. That's like one bucket of games, one category of games that uh, of the Nindy news that we're covering. Um, you know, they're they're all pretty familiar for fans of indie games, but you know, you got them doing their own things in different ways. The second made up yet totally applicable category that I came up with to sum up some of these is probably best described as like the narrative driven adventure um you know this is basically stuff like telltales games which as we predicted last episode are now officially coming to switch batman and gardens of the galaxy both their respective seasons but not walking dead yet they said there's more coming or wolf among they said there's more coming relax (laughs) but yeah so far (laughs) or game of thrones well that one i heard wasn't that great so that's okay but uh but yeah telltales now fully on board with switch is the point so these are all coming remember they hired a nintendo specialist specifically to help bring these games over so or they're hiring, which means there's more to come. They're not there yet. So they're coming. We're back to the future. We're back to the future. Give it time. Give it. They're not going to put them all on day one. You need to make sure the audience is there. This is how you properly test the Switch, by the way. Not like EA and Capcom. Or not like EA where it's like soccer games will determine Star Wars games. No. You have specific genres determining other games in that genre. But anyway, like Telltale, you know, we're starting to see more of these narrative games on Switch. There's, um, like, it was just announced that Oxen Free is coming to Switch as well. That is. A bit different of a narrative tale, but it's very narrative-driven. It's a mystery game about these kids on an island that's got supernatural stuff. But the one that I think we both really want to talk about is the one that came out of the showcase. And that one was extremely interesting-looking. Very narrative-driven, not very puzzle-heavy. Its art style is really crazy in that it's very unique. And it is uh, Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah, I just really like the the medium shot. Or like the medium like long shot that almost every single screen has where you see the entire background or... I guess it's everything from far away. I don't know. It just makes everything seem ominous, which is definitely what they're going for. Oh, totally. The the thing that immediately caught my eye about that game more so than... I mean, I love the art style. Apparently, they're going for some sort of like... Uh, they're referencing like theater lighting or something. That's what the whole game's supposed to look like is like weird, moody theater lighting. 
but the um like that's why the light hits at the angles it does and whatnot but the the thing that immediately caught my eye with uh this game with Kentucky Route Zero is not even the game itself it was the Annapurna logo at the start of the trailer so Annapurna if you don't recognize the name I don't know if that brings nope. any bells it they are a movie studio behind a lot of films that end up doing quite well despite perhaps unexpected premises or uh or like weird thing, like a, a movie you wouldn't think would be a big hit, they'd somehow make a big hit. I mean, we're talking things like Her, we're talking Spring Breakers, we're talking Sausage Party, Zero Dark Thirty. These are all from this one studio. They have a really good track record. And when I saw their logo, I had two thoughts. One, when did Annapurna start making games? And the answer is eight months ago, if you're wondering. And two, I'm probably going to want to check this out at the very least because they're, whoever just makes their creative decisions is good at picking things. So that gives me a lot of hope that we're in for a unique, well-done experience with uh, Kentucky uh, Route Zero. Wow, I totally blanked out. I was, I was gonna say Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken. I know, uh, yeah, I was, gonna, I was really close to saying Kentucky like travel team or something, which is totally wrong. But yeah, so um, that kind of got my attention. And then for the Switch version, um, Annapurna and the developers, which is a company called Cardboard Computer, they're actually going to be putting all the episodes together. They used to be released separately one by one on Switch, one uh, episodes one through four, or I mean on Steam. One through four are out now. Episode five is coming in tandem with this Switch version, which they'll all be bundled together in what they're calling TV edition. And if you've never seen it, if you know nothing about it, for a second, like, I remember when I saw the TV edition um, subtitle, I thought like, wait, like Evan, it was normally a portable only game, and now it's like a TV version of it. Or I guess because you were playing it on a computer on a monitor, and I guess now it's a TV. Yeah, it, it, that was a little bit. It threw me off first, and I was thinking, oh, maybe they mean like it's like a season. Well, first of all, it's coming to PS4 and Xbox One as well, so that might be yeah. where TV comes from. But also, like, because they're bundling all the episodes, the whole story arc from start to finish will be bundled together. It's like, oh, they're basically saying it's a season, but for some reason they're not calling it a season because I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so I guess season edition doesn't sound as nicely as TV And season edition. one would imply others, so I guess TV yeah. edition kind of cleans it up. But yeah, ultimately, the game's interesting because it's a it's point-and-click adventure, but all you do is talk. It's all narrative. There's no actual puzzle gameplay. There's puzzles in the narration. You pick different dialogue trees and stuff. But you just talk. Like, you just click where you want your character to go and who you want them to talk to, and everything unfolds strictly through dialogue, which is kind of, kind of an interesting approach. And, um, you know, combine it with the art style, and it sounds very different from any other narrative game. Like, it sounds pretty cool. And then you also have the developers kind of walking around and calling it a magical realist adventure, which on the one hand, to me, sounds very overly artsy, but at the same time, it is pretty much a... I guarantee the game's going to be unique. And the reason I say it's super overly artsy is like uh, magical realism adventure, like magical realism as a thing is a real term commonly used for uh, storytelling and art to describe stories that are like grounded in the real world with a kind of subtle little elements of um, like going beyond what's real, like magic. You never hear a game called magical realism. Like that's not a term for gaming. That's a term for other types of art. So it's kind of interesting to see a company be like, no, 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 our game fits that bill. Like, that automatically to me is like, oh, there's something here that most games don't do. Like, you don't see, I mean, technically, Zelda could be magical realism. Like, it's mostly real. It's mostly sword fighting. But uh, then there's, like, the weird, well, actually, no. I take that back. Zelda is not magical realism because you're fighting skeletons and goblins. But but you get my point. Like, it, you don't hear games normally described as magical realism. That's, like, a literature term. So it's kind of interesting that they're calling it as much. Like Ace Attorney? Yeah, that might be a better example. But even then, it's a little cartoony, so not really. No, it's, it's more like it's more like um, if if you're playing, if you're like watching like True the Detective, Sims? 
No, I see that's the thing. Games don't really fit that bill because games don't usually. I don't know. Like it's hard to like Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> no, like like. Uh, I'm trying to think of games like that don't Killer have any... Seven or No More Heroes or something where it's pretty grounded, but then like things get a little not grounded. Like No More Heroes in concept is not that un that crazy. You run around and kill people because you're seeking revenge. Yada yada yada. And then oh, this boss suddenly can do this one weird thing, that's not normal. Almost like superhero films in a weird way could be magical realism. They're pretty grounded, except the fact that they're superheroes and can do crazy things. So, I don't know. It's, it's just not a term you see in gaming. So that kind of got my attention very early on. Plus, it got really strong reviews when it was released on Steam. So that that's another good sign. Hmm. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, you, you're actually the one that kind of called it out initially. We were looking at... Me and Andrew were like sat down and kind of looked through all the nindies and picked which one to really caught our eye and it's actually you that brought this one up before yeah, I, I mean i love narrative driven games i like the art style it kind of reminded me of ghost tricks art style yeah ghost trick was a good game love ghost trick that game was definitely buried in the ds library but yeah it deserves more love but it is available on ios and that's true android i don't know i don't know but yeah if you haven't played it and you like this kind of games definitely get it it's by the creator of the ace attorney game so yeah yeah I, I will say that um, I made this con in the past. I might have actually made it last episode. But it really does feel like the Switch is perfect for a sort of narrative-driven game. Like, you have the more movie-watching, lean-back experience if you play it on TV. You have a nice big screen compared to, like, your iPhone if you decide to play it on the couch. You can then take it with you if you go somewhere. Like, unlike if if these games are on PS4 or Xbox One, like, you know, Kentucky... Uh, why can't I ever remember its full name? Good God. Kentucky <laughs> Route Zero. Unlike, you know, Kentucky Route, uh, Route Zero is on those systems, but, like, on Switch, you can use the touchscreen. On the others, you can't. So that automatically makes it, like, more of an intimate thing. Like, that, all that combined, it kind of feels like narrative adventure games were, like, this d- genre that, when the Switch dis- was seriously discussed as a concept at first, no one mentioned, but they can end up being, like, one of the ones that benefit the most from having the Switch and having the ability to jump around and whatnot. Like, it's kind of, it's kind of funny how that works. Yeah. Like they're really gonna benefit from it, I think. And of course on the flip side of that, you have the type of game where uh that Switch was pitched as perfect for from day one, which is of course local multiplayer. Which brings us to our third unofficial category of of Nindy game announcements, which is multiplayer. Like a lot of the games announced this past week obviously include multiplayer in some way, but the three that we chose to highlight are ones that really embody like the local multiplayer spirit of Switch and what that's all about and the fact that hey here's a Joy Con, just hop right in. And the first up is uh, Sausage Sports Club, which looks like pretty much the wacky party game that, you know, like it will fit into that role very nicely as wacky party game. Yeah, I feel like um, right now Overcooked kind of fills that role right now just Mm because that's like the closest thing we have to a Mm -hmm. four-player frantic game. But we need something a little more competitive. And, I mean, this will fill it in for now. I mean, it it looks fun. It, It just looks... It just looks very simplified, but it looks like something that you just like do in quick succession, like a, get a bunch of games yeah. in. I, am, I mean, it looks perfect for the Switch. I mean, I immediately thought of Gang Beast when I saw that. I know that just makes me want like, Gang Beast more. I know Gang Beast on Switch would be great. So if if anyone listening out there has never played Gang Beast, it's the most ridiculous fighting game you will ever play in like the best possible of ways. Mainly due to like they uh, they have crazy rag rag blah, blah, ragdoll physics. What I'm trying to say. They have crazy ragdoll physics in that, like, you control your character's hands with one stick, you control the movement with the other stick, and then all you do is thwack into people with the hands. You have a punch button, a kick button, and then you grab people with the grab button and kind of toss them around, and everything's, like, really loose physics and weird. And it would honestly be amazing on Switch. And then we have Sausage Sports Club, which kind of takes the idea, removes the hand element, 
but you still have like the wacky ragdoll physics and then they amp up everything around that in different ways like you're not just fighting you're also playing rounds of soccer you're doing some sort of what looks like a splatoon turf war where you're like trying to paint the level in your color or whatever and you're made and you're just a bunch of different sausage shaped animals without hands doing all this and you can mm-hmm. customize them with different items and there's an adventure mode for single player and yeah it's just like gang beast but more fleshed out with more like a whole, whole full game around it on a system that's made for this type of thing yeah, it looks pretty polished definitely. yeah and and they're adding switch specific features because it is on steam as well or will be kind of steam but on switch um they're adding one is motion controls where you can like tilt the Joy-Con as you're playing to kind of lean in with your character to gain more, um, you know, finesse in your cornering and everything. Because again, they are animals that are sausages that um, you kind of customize to your heart's content. You just make your sausage your own. Okay, that was bad wording, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, there. Um, yeah, you have like the motion controls, and then there's HD rumble, which actually benef- could benefit hugely from this. In that, you know, if you're thwacking into people, if it's all about physics and how you move your character, presumably that means a lot of different cool HD rumble implementations. At least that's what I'm assuming it means when they say there's playing HD rumble. But but we'll see. Like honestly, HD rumble is like one of the coolest things of the Switch, and no one really supports it. Like the number you of games that use it well is like five. But it's so cool when it is used correctly. Like I love in Mario Odyssey when you're on the moped and it just like feels like there's a little engine in your in your Joy-Con. It's really cool. Yeah, hopefully, well, I mean, hopefully it's used for more than just that level. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, actually, Mario and Rabbids. We'll talk about it next episode, but it uses the um, HD Rumble actually kind of cool in cool ways. Like when you pick up coins versus when you hit destroy an enemy versus when you do other stuff. Like the Rumbles are different. Huh. It's subtle, but it's nice. Touch. Anyone mention that? I know, no one did, but yeah. it's there. But yeah, so uh, Sausage Sports Club out this fall. It's a Switch console exclusive. Makes total sense on the platform. I'm, I'm excited to play it here on your Switch because I know you're gonna buy, you're gonna buy it, and well, we're gonna have maybe. Yeah, you are. We'll see. Okay, if you say so. Now, for people who prefer more prefer more traditional multiplayer, that perhaps is equally chaotic but also more strategic. Um, you may be the type of person who already plays Worms. And it was announced that they that Team Seventeen is bringing Worms to Switch with Worms MD, WMD, WMD. Yeah, wow. I'm not doing well today. I'm gonna blame the heat. It's another weird episode we're recording in like 102 degrees. Yeah, this game is like an instant buy. Yeah, Worms WMD looks good. It. You know, did you know it's the first Worms game in like seven years to come to a Nintendo platform? I didn't realize it's been that long. Like you always associate Worms. It was on like DS. I thought. I guess it could still have been on DS. Yeah, because, I mean, I remember the last Worms game I played on the PS3. Wow. A long time ago. Mm-hmm. But that was really fun, just playing with four people, local couch multiplayer. It's, like, perfect for the Switch, and those yeah. games are a blast. That one was... Ah, oh, they're a blast, I get, because you shoot things and they blow up. That one was, Pines. like, those were, like, 3D rendered characters. And, and, and it was cool, but this one looks like it's going back to 2D rendered characters. Yeah, which, yeah. Which is also nice. I mean, it potentially leads to having more chaos on the screen because it doesn't have to render polygons mm-hmm. yeah wmd is based uh on a game that's already out it's been out on steam for a year but yes, oh, yeah it's, it's remember, 2d again I mean, it's funny because i remember always like going through steam and wanting to get wmd but because it's on steam it you have to sense. kind of coordinate with people to play on because like, like we're both big yeah. worms fans but on a console it's where it makes the most sense right and so they're gonna have online again in this one they're also adding local multiplayer of course i mean you can't not have local multiplayer the two joy cons are right there you're ready to go it's going to have uh, all the 30 levels from the Steam version, new stages, new customization for your worms. It's like Team 17 is putting some effort into this for sure. And definitely it's like the perfect fit for the Switch. 
It is actually kind of funny though. Like I just I was thinking about this when I was putting together the outline. Like so, we on the Switch already have a true Bomberman, a true classic Sonic, a true classic Street Fighter, a Mario Kart, a um, I guess Splatoon, but not that doesn't really count because it's not like a retro game. But and now Worms, like every major yeah I leave out Splatoon from that list, but every major. It's like the Pac-Man <laughs> early two thousands, we have Pac-Man Versus. Yeah, that's it's it. there. Yeah, every major early two thousands like go to multiplayer, like simple multiplayer, like not Smash, like simple or late nineties, let's say multiplayer is all on Switch in the first nine months. And I always say nine months because Worms isn't out till fourth quarter. Everything else is already out, but that's kind of nuts on a new system to have all that so quickly. Yeah, like like it's really cool that like the Switch's promise has been fulfilled in that regard like local multiplayer is definitely what switch is all about and it's great and i mean there's not much else to say about worms it's worms but um it's i suspect it's gonna be a huge hit yep yeah now on the other end of the spectrum if you have worms is like the most familiar type of indie, are you gonna uh, get it? i'm gonna play it here i might get it, actually uh, you know it's weird because like worms i like playing worms but i'm not very good at worms to the point where i don't care enough to play it by myself <laughs> Like, I don't know if it's like, oh, I should buy it and get better, or if it's just like, I don't care enough. Like, I just don't care enough. But it is really fun when I do play it. So, I don't know, to answer your question. I like, I like it, but I don't know if I like it. So you're not going to gonna buy bottom after the, the Ninja World Tech? Probably not. Probably not. I don't even know what that is. Not even going to lie. Well, I guess you'll find out when you play with us. That sounds like a weird threat, but okay, I will. Um, but yeah, I, I suspect more people, unlike me, will be buying it. I think it's going to be huge on Switch, but yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. For, me, for me personally but but what i started to say is if i wanted to know the spectrum of something like worms which is very familiar there's also other crazy um like we different multiplayer stuff one game that you specifically wanted to mention if i remember correctly is um light fingers which is like a board game but digital but still has dice rolling but like the world's build as you walk or something like do you want to explain this i don't this is like out of my wheelhouse a little like what is light fingers i mean i play board games but even I have trouble explaining this game because it doesn't really make sense. It's like they haven't really shown them quite enough yet. I mean, I've read through their website, I've read press releases, and I've watched like, their trailers because there isn't much gameplay out. Yeah. And from what I gather, um, I guess the premise is you're just like these adventurers that are just playing a board game. And you're playing this board game together, you roll the dice, and as one person moves around taking their turn... I don't know what the number signifies. I don't know if it means, like, okay, you get to move for, like, 20 seconds, depending on how high you roll or whatever. Mm-hmm. But as you're moving through this board game that creates itself as you move from space to space, um, the other players get to manipulate the environment or and, and control obstacles to try to kill you during your turn. And that's pretty much the game. You're just trying to kill the other players while you're playing. There's a card element to it where you can activate certain effects, keep them a secret. Like... And it just looks fun. It, I mean, what really got my attention was just how different it was. Because I, anytime there's a game that I just have a hard time trying to figure out, it's like, wait, how, how do you work? Like, tell me your <laughs> secrets. But <laughs> show me your true inner. And just the spirit. fact that it's like a board game, spiritual video game, I don't know, thing, just caught my attention. Now I, I just really want to figure it out it looks very it, it, yeah just i just think how different it is it's it's unique it is interesting because the only game i could think of where you digital game i could think of where you roll dice are two mario party and monopoly so if they can somehow do something so different from those but still have the dice element like that to me is interesting yeah, like, because to, to they, really like run with it that 
Because I mean, as direction. of now, like, I mean, there is a dice element, but it doesn't seem like it's very... Like, it, it doesn't look like it leans a lot on the random aspects of it. It looks like there's definitely more skill than luck involved in it, which yeah. is always welcome. Well, yeah, yeah, because you, mean, hate, you hate luck-based games. Remember no, your Mario Kart tie, right? No, no, I mean, I don't... <laughs> well, I don't hate, but I'm exactly. No, I mean, like, like I said with the Mario Kart thing, I went in there playing it like a competitive game. Yeah. If I never cared from the beginning, then I would love... I mean, now I embrace the luck aspect of it. That's true. In Mario Party, you it love, just, but just, you know it, it's It just depends the on the mentality. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, if a game... Fair. Like, I mean, I love the randomness of Mario Party. That's like, fair. I, I can't imagine it without it. And... Yeah, like this game. I mean, so, I mean, luck. The nice thing about luck is that it brings hype and it brings like turnabouts and like crazy situations where someone could be winning one second, losing the other, and that's when you get the people like yelling and doing crazy stuff. Here's what I love about luck. Memorable. Here's what I love about luck. It gives me a chance to legitimately beat you at a game because if it was all skill, I would lose horribly. But I when mean, there's luck involved, I stand a chance. I mean, and that's legitimately. Great. <laughs> I mean. Hey, hey, no, see, you're already, see, legitimately, you're already (laughs) doubling back on your whole luck thing a minute ago. It is legitimate if that's how you go into the game, according to your logic. You literally just said (laughs) that. You can't back out of this one. I'm sorry, but... It depends on how we define legitimate. Uh... The dictionary has a very strict <laughs> definition of legitimate, which is the one I choose to adhere by. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I will say Lightfingers, like, I do like the art style a lot. It, it has kind of like a pop-up book aesthetic and everything. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's interesting. It's, I think it's coming, what, early next year? Late this year? Something like that. I don't know. But it's, it's, it's intriguing, to, to say the least. Um, I think my absolute favorite multiplayer Nindy that was shown, unless you have anything else to say about uh, Lightfinger. Um, but there's not, I don't know what else there is because we don't know what it is I want them to say more about yeah, it yeah <laughs> that'd be great if they could just like say anything yeah yeah. but uh, yeah I was going to say my absolute favorite of all the multiplayer nindies we saw um, announced this past week uh, Not it not just came out of nowhere but it was like just insanely ambitious for an indie title and that is Morphe's Law which is a fully 3D third person 4v4 shooter which you rarely tw- see which from Which you rarely indies. see from an indie. And the big twist is that everybody's body morphs depending on where you hit them. You see, that's why it's called Morphe's Law. Because because they morph. And, and yeah, you get it. But um, no, but each each like, uh, each like shot you do to someone will kind of zap some of their mass onto your own character. And this in turn affects which parts of stages are accessible, what powers you have and abilities you have. Because, you know, you can sneak in something with a small door if you're tiny. But maybe you can hover jump if you're big or whatever. And um, then when the match ends, what determines who wins or loses is there's these two like Attack on Titan style avatars that kind of loom in the background that are like all your mass combined. And whoever has the biggest mass or the tallest uh, fake Titan, basically pseudo Titan, uh, determines who wins. It, it's very much a vibe of the developers. Like I pictured them in a meeting room and it's like, you know, maybe a year after Splatoon came out, the original, and they're like, man can we actually do a shooter that's different from all their shooters? Splatoon did it. What, we, what could we come up with? What if, like, instead of turf, it's body size? Like, what if you get a bigger body? Oh, dude, that's it. The cheat code from the N64 game. The big head mode. Make a whole a game message. of that. Body shape doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a very or powerful... It do, or it does matter because it does affect the situation. It, it, it matters, but everybody's <laughs> a, a welcome body. It's a really strong message to send to kids around the country that no matter what your body is, you You're can so dress up as a Day of the Dead robot kill people and succeed in life that's basically what it's telling us but uh no it, it looks really cool like it's it, i think it could actually work really well as like a shooter kind of like how splatoon sort of de-emphasized the idea of like you don't need to be good at shooting you only have good shooter skills to do well at splatoon because it's about turf so you can be the dude that's off on off rolling somewhere with a roller and you can in theory 
be one of the most important team members. Like the way that Morphe's Law works is they're essentially sort of mimicking that same concept in that it basically is built in handicapping. I mean, if I am really good at headshots and I headshot you a couple times, your head's then too small for me to keep headshotting. So then you have an advantage now against the guy who maybe is only good at headshots while he previously had the advantage against you. So it kind of, assuming all the mechanics work out correctly, it kind of self-balances. Which to me is kind of an interesting concept for a shooter because usually it's a lot about like, you know, this guy's our camper, he's always going to camp, this guy's our headshot guy. But no, no. In this game, you need more than that because that will literally change after three kills or whatever. You know what I mean? Yep. So it, 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 it's, it's potentially pretty cool. And the other interesting thing, I didn't even notice until I went to the website, they support uh, Friendly Fire. So you can actually form strategies with teammates and assign teammates to make sure that you remain a certain body ratio or whatever, which means that it's a lot more strategic than would let on. Because it kind of looks like like it'd be really fun local multiplayer, it'd be really funny, but maybe online there's not as much to it because it's just like, oh, you're morphing. But between you know the built-in handicapping, the fact that your squad actually affects each other and you need to sort of together decide how you want to tackle something and who's going to be what role in a different way than like I'm the camper or whatever – to me, that, that gives me a lot of hope that this could be pretty cool. Um, like, there could be a significant amount of depth tucked into what looks like a really just ridiculous, hilarious concept on the surface. So so I'm hopeful. I mean, I think I think the big thing for them, there's going to be two issues. Um, one, they need to make sure they have a big player base, a big community around this, because a shooter, more than any other game, needs an active... player base. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, for one, I would like for them to uh, have Switch PC crossplay. This is coming to PC as well. It's going to be Switch console exclusive, but it will be on PC. PC means Steam. Steam means a lot of people, potentially. So if they do that cross-play, that could help a lot. Um, but even just having it on Switch, there's hope, because this lines up demographically so well with Splatoon. Like, anyone that bought Splatoon, in theory, should like this. Should. I mean, obviously, they might not like the Day of the Dead look. They might not, you know. Like, personally, I think the Day of the Dead thing's a little odd. I don't mind it. But, like, the Day of the Dead robots look okay enough, but then the stagers are kind of bland in its current form because it is early in development, um, or still in development, I should say. But, like, assuming all the ducks are in a row, a lot of people should easily be like, I like Splatoon. I'll like yeah. making this guy's head disappear. You could look over a lot of the things. Yeah, exactly. So so I have hope for that. Um, although, yeah, it's it, it really comes down to how well they can balance this thing. I mean, we should take, I, I, we should take a second to really acknowledge how crazy it is that something of this scale is coming from, like, an indie dev. Like, you sort of said that at the top here, but that is so impressive to me. That, like, because the amount of bouncing and planning and the sheer programming know how to do something of this scale, like, for a small team, and I think they're like some European team somewhere, I don't remember what country. It might be in Poland or Switzerland or something like that, but still, like, that is impressive to have a little, yeah. like, a little group of guys doing this. But it also means there's a lot of room for things to go wrong. So I'm hoping that's not the case. Nintendo spotlighting it makes me think they're giving them a lot of assistance, but it's hard to say. Hmm. So I'm holding out hope, at least. I mean, does this seem like something you'd get into? Because you like Splatoon, and, this is, and you like shooters. I mean, I like Splatoon, but I'm not looking out to get a bunch of different shooters. I'm, it, right. I don't know. I'm a weird person. Like, I mean, I you like, are. I'm glad you finally met. I, I like Splatoon, while there isn't any other game I like more to play while Splatoon is out. So the moment, like like I keep saying, the moment Smash Bros. comes out, like most other games don't even exist anymore. Yeah, but the, the thing about this is this will be out between Splatoon and Smash, but after Splatoon dies. This is winter. This realistically is like next March at the earliest. Yeah, but that's the thing Judging too, on the rough animations in it, we're looking at March. At well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the nice thing, like in a pre-Smash Switch world, yeah. um, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of things could coexist. Like even this and Splatoon, since Splatoon, 
Um, preferably, I'd like to just like rank up as much as possible, do right. it as best I can while the game is still out on this one. I see it more as a like a couch multiplayer thing when we have like a bunch of people over. Yeah. Like I can't really see myself playing this game online at all. I can see myself doing it. I don't think I'd be a took unless it's like with friends. With but friends. I mean, I'd rather spend my time playing online with randos in Splatoon. Right. Than here. Well, I get that because because part of the thing, and this is going back to the player base issue, is part of the thing is like you need to get good at the game. Like, in a game like this, you can't just, like, it's not as fun if you, I mean, Splatoon balances it really well, actually. But in a lot of shooters, if you're not good at it, you just get killed over and over and over and over, and that's it. You're, all you do is die. Like, why even play? Unless you really want to dedicate time to training up. And if you don't want to dedicate time to training up, because, you know, maybe the player base is too small. So it's like, well, there's not always people to play with that yeah. I like to play with. Then it's clever Catch-22 that's stuck in. So as a party game, I'm pretty sure Morphe's Laws is going to do super well. As an online shooter... Yeah, they want definitely that crossplay. Like I was saying, they probably want to somehow get Nintendo to do push first this really hard. Even typically a crossplay because I know there's that whole controller versus mouse and keyboard thing. Like I know, you know quite frankly, like I know it's. I mean, it might not yeah. matter for a game of this scale, but I know for like a game like Overwatch or something, they wouldn't combine them together because no, for Overwatch, for for real shooters, no. But for something on Whoa, this, oh man, <laughs> no, my my real shooters. Well, well, first person shooters. <laughs> For real, I meant for like real, like grounded, like or not grounded. Overwatch is not grounded. You can play as a gorilla. I meant for real, like um, for real, like established <laughs> shooters. No, because the player base is so big that you will run into that. But if I'm a dude on Switch playing Morphe's Law, am I really gonna care if the other opponent that happens to exist, just the one that happens to exist, is played on a different <laughs> device? No, yeah, honestly, I, I so. hope they. It doesn't matter because I mean, yeah, and this is gonna be an esport where you do need to keep the level playing the playing field yeah. level as much as possible then yeah and but. and the thing is i think that what's unique about morphe's law that kind of mirrors what splatoon does but what what's different from every other third person first person shooter is ultimately it's still kind of wacky it's still kind of a weird spin on shooters so like splatoon got competitive that's fine that's great morphe's law like i was saying i think it has the depth can, to get competitive based on what i've read that's fine that's great but like how many people are good like you said gonna take it so seriously to the point where it becomes an esport or something like it's a fun game where you can make your butt really big if you want or have thunder <laughs> thighs if you want and yeah there's strategy behind that but still it's just a fun like it's not i feel like to me at least it doesn't give off the vibe of being like this super serious shooter where you have to be really good and the stupid keyboard mouse pc master race keep beating you like i don't see any of that in this you know so that's that's true that's my take but but I don't know. I am excited for it because it's, it's very unexpected, which like I guess transitions us nicely into the final category of Switch indie game news that we're discussing, which um, I've kind of dubbed the unexpected, like the bucket's just the unexpected. It's it, Honestly, these are games that basically didn't fit into other categories, but I wanted to talk about or <laughs> you wanted to talk about. It's the miscellaneous. Um, but the reason they're worth talking about is because these two games that we're going to talk about are actually very different from anything else. They are unexpected in their scope, in their scale, and the fact that they even were put in the presentation. No more heroes. I'm looking at you. But uh, first up, we've got a new Switch game from Electronic Arts. The very Electronic Arts, the very EA that for the past two episodes we were saying wasn't supporting Switch until they know how FIFA did. Apparently their indie game publishing arm did not get the memo because as we mentioned earlier in the show, EA uh, Originals, which is their indie publishing arm, has now announced in tandem with Zoinks that they're bringing over Faye to the Switch. And Faye was a game announced back at E3 2016. And it's basically Zoinks, the guys that do Flipping Death, the guys that did uh, Stick It to the Man, games we've talked about on the show before. 
Sigma yeah. Man was one we really liked for like for you for those who saw their Wii U plugged in, go check that out. Yeah, really I'm cool. glad you ever beat that one because that was a good one. What? No, I meant Wii as in Ram Nintendo. You're the only one that's played it. I'm just speaking on your behalf. Oh, I've never I've never played Sigma to the Man. It makes me sad. You would have liked it. I should check it out. I want to because you gave it a glowing review. But the, the, I was saying we is in the show. I realize that's a little confusing in retrospect now. But you really like. You played. Point is, he's he's pantomiming a tear right now. But point is, um, Zoinks is a company that is near and dear to random Nintendo's heart. Better. So, and the, Shaggy. I don't know. What, and Scooby. I'm assuming that's where they got their name from. I, can't I don't imagine. know. They're I, Swedish. I have no idea where that name came from. It could be something totally unrelated. That's true, but um, but anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's cool to see. I f- I feel like the reason this kind of switch is Zoinks themselves are like, hey, we've had good success on Nintendo. Can we like get this over there? And EA's <laughs> like, all right, but yeah, nonetheless, it's now coming to Switch uh, as well as PS4 and Xbox One in early 2018. <clears throat> they had to build their own. Um, I mean, I already lost the the word. Um, someone put together quite the elaborate PowerPoint to convince <laughs> EA to do it, and it worked. <laughs> they built their own deck. Um, slide deck, but but yeah, the game the game's actually to be honest, it wasn't really on my radar before. Um, it could be because I didn't own the platforms it was going to be on, and now that I I'm into the engine because you know the whole oh they built their own. oh yeah yeah they told EA don't worry about it. we got our engine in place already unlike FIFA yeah <laughs> like no 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 you know what was Maybe interesting we still have to build another you know one. What I thought was <laughs> yeah you know what I thought was kind of crazy actually about the whole EA thing is one of their developers said in an interview lately like oh it was really hard to build that engine on Switch. Every other developer that has ever talked about the Switch has said it's the easiest platform to develop for of any platforms out. And then this EA guy's like, oh man, it's really hard and like it needs to sell or else we're, we're just not supporting the system anymore. Like it's like they're literally saying up the dominoes to fall in their favor. Like fake news dominoes basically. But um, yeah, no, Faye, to EA's credit, is greatest kind of Switch because it does look really cool. Now that I've actually checked it out and looked at what it was and everything because I, I heard about it on the other systems. <laughs> we still like, haven't eh. described what it even is. Yeah, but what I'm getting there, it's... um. It's this, I don't even know how to describe it. It's hard to describe. It's like Breath of the Wild almost. So you control a little fox whose name is Faye, and you basically are set out into this vast forest to explore. And like the game, from what I've read, is very Breath of the Wild in the fact that you don't really have tutorials. You're not really told what to do. There's some linearity, but it kind of just nudges you in the direction. It doesn't really outright say what to do. It's not very game-like. It's more exploratory. And then as you explore... You meet all these other animals who grant you new abilities like the ability to fly or glide or whatever or go up to the top of trees or that sort of thing. And then you kind of work your way back into areas you are previously in, explore new areas, and then continue forward into new areas from there. It's very like Metroid Prime meets Breath of the Wild in terms of like the lay of the, like how you progress through the game. So so that, that itself is kind of interesting. And then um, as the game goes on, you end up fighting bosses and you encounter these things called the silent ones that are imprisoning animals and you have to go rescue them. But you never actually fight yourself. The fox, Faye, can't fight. You enlist all the, your animal friends in various ways to help. And there's like some, like, from what I was here, I think it was IGN that I was uh, reading the impressions of, and they were saying something along the lines of like, there's also like a Shadow of the Colossus vibe at one point. Like, one of the enemies you have to like climb up. And it's just always this like mishmash of ideas into this new game that is it has a 2D game? It is full 3D. It has a really interesting art style. It's like, um,. It's sort of vectory. It's sort of polygonal. It's like a lot of triangle shapes forming things. Like all the trees are triangles on top of triangles. The fur of deer are like triangles. Is it this one? Yes, it's that one. It's all like dark. It looks like nothing that you just described. No, it's 3D. What are you talking about? Oh, you said the trees are triangles on top of triangles. Yeah, they are. Give me your iPad. We're going to verbally describe. They just look like normal trees. Um, 
I mean, neither just... Okay, you know what I'm thinking of when I said trees? Let me pull it up. No, right here, dude. Dude, bro. Triangles on triangles. Thank you very much. <laughs> but no, a better example guess. A better example is um, look up the big deer at the end of the trailer. He His fur is literally just little, like, triangle shapes, kind of. I mean, it's not super... It's it's like it's not like it's just a bunch of triangles stacked one another with outlines of each triangle, but everything has, like, kind of this pointed look to it, this kind of triangular look. I'm getting a and bunch of images of... Big deer hunting. Well, I meant like watch the trailer, but okay. <laughs> or just describe big deer hunting to everyone on pocket. So yeah, the guys, this game, like you're a hunter in an orange hat and an orange vest, and you're sniping. It's literally the opposite of what he's describing with Faye. But no, um, the, the thing I say is like the game also, just to paint picture a picture for people, lots of cool pastel coloring. Like it's all purple and magenta and like dark blue and that sort of thing. It just It's a really stylish look. It's really cool. And the game just sounds very interesting. It's very, like I said, Breath of the Wildy. So I'm I'm pretty excited for it. Um, it's it's also like you know if EA is backing it, it's a game that has some money behind it, some scale behind it. So probably that probably gives it a better chance of being better. Which like you can make a great game with that much money, but if you have more money, in theory, that means better game because you have more to work with and more QAing you can do and all that. So yeah, so that's too minor number nine. There are exceptions to every rule. <laughs> they have there are more money than rule. they could have ever imagined. I know. No, it's, you definitely have to manage it correctly. I guess my point is, is like, <laughs> if you have a big publisher that's willing to put money where their mouth is for your game, the bear, odds are your game's going to be better for it. Keep in mind, my number nine was self-published. Yeah. Well, Deep Silver picked it up, sort of. <laughs> but that was off the hype. A little different. It was already, in the, exi- it was already existing in the world and backed by people. But but yeah, and, and this, you know the, the, the look of Faye, it's interesting to me because there's this growing trend of switch games with this kind of polygonal heavy like light on specific details in the world bathed in like this dark pastel shade like graphic style going on in switch games right now because along with Faye, there's also a metroid prime style first person adventure game coming to switch in three weeks i don't know if you know about this three weeks we're getting a game called Morphite. it is a switch game first person shooter adventure very Metroid-esque. You go explore planets. The planets are somewhat procedurally generated. Procedurally generated. You come back. That has a very similar graphic style to Faye, as does another game that was slipped into the Ninnies at Night sizzle reel, but not talked about at all, called Inner Space, which looks kind of like this, I don't know, hybrid of, like, Pilot Wings and maybe Star Fox and No Man's Sky, like you control the ship and like the world's inverted and you're flying around and discovering stuff and it's also somewhat procedurally generated. Um, but yeah, both these games, much like Faye, have kind of this polygon heavy, very dark color, like cool color aesthetic, which is, I don't know, at least for me, something I really like at the moment. It's got to mm-hmm. totally get overplayed in a year or two. Like remember when everyone's like, look at our retro pixel art. And you're like, mean, oh, dude, it looks like a 16-bit game. And then two years later, like, enough with the 16-bit games. This art style will be that in three years. But until it becomes that, starting, I love the look. It's starting to get to me like that already. I mean, like, even that other game, uh, what is, I think you just mentioned the Mulata. No, I haven't mentioned Mulata yet. But, yeah, that's a good, good that example. One I forgot about that, that one also yeah. has that art style. Is it Mulata or Mulaka? Mulaka. Yeah. Um, I mean, it looks fine. It looks like... It's kind of like a Zelda. <laughs> it looks like Breath of the Wild, but very polygonal. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost just not a fox... The only thing that um that was actually kind of interesting that I saw in the interview was that it was it was based on a tribe and they got and oh, they Mulaka? In, yeah and they interviewed the people and they tried to replicate the actual language. It's based on an, yeah I believe like, it's an indigenous some sort of Native American population. Yeah. It might not be American actually. It might no. be indigenous somewhere else. I yeah. take I that back. Honest. But yeah, it's 
they revived the dead language for the game. Yeah. Yes. Basically. Which is nuts. And the whole game's based on their mythology and it's about, Yeah, which is it's cool. It's really cool. Like games that go that extra mile. It's like really God cool. of War but It's God of War but more Zelda speed. But for a different culture. And for a different culture. And of more I guess more a more a game more appropriate for their culture. Actually I don't know if God of War was appropriate for Greek culture, but the game worked out perfectly well. I don't know. At least it is non Greek saying this right yeah. now. <laughs> but but yeah, it's uh yeah, that style is gonna get tired. There's no doubt about it. But right now, I'm totally into it. And I, I you know, I blame, I blame. Do you remember Escape for DSiWare back on the three, uh, the DS days? It was made by. No. I like how you lean really close to the mic for that. You're like, hey, do you remember Escape? Let me just, let me just lean it. No. But no, it, um, it, uh, yeah, no, Escape was one of my favorite DSi games. Granted, there were only like six, but it was one of my favorite of those six. Uh, it was made by Q Games. It was a sequel to a Game Boy game called X, which was basically Star Fox, but first person and tank based. And as you know, Q Games went on to make Star Fox Command and be involved in Star Fox 64 3D, or at least their head developer did. Um, so like it came from the like mindset of those people, but it had a very similar like art style. It was a little less polygonal. I mean, it was polygonal simply because the DS could only like do simple polygons, but it had a little more detail in it. It wasn't as like smooth over, so to speak. But that was the first game that did kind of like this crazy art style where everything is like a, a certain color tint and that sort of thing. And it's kind of it's been kind of cool to see No Man's Sky pick up on that and now, you know, Faye do it and Morphite do it, assuming that's good. And um, Inner Space do it, assuming that's good. So I, I like the style is my point. But I realize it will get very tired very fast. Yeah. I, I will say Morphite, that's one to keep an eye on. It's out in three weeks. How did no one even know about this? First person adventure game. No. Metroid style. You should get it. I might. We'll see how reviews are. Because here's my concern. Trust your heart. Here's my – I might. But part of my concern is like – and nothing against indies. I know how hard it is to get a game reviewed and get attention when you don't know any – you know, when you're like a startup indie. But like usually the Nintendo or whoever helps push the cream of the crop to the top. If they see potential in a game, they will really help get the word out steam world dig the original image uh image and form no one knew who they were nintendo pushed it pretty hard if i remember correctly um shovel knight for sure was one they did that with so more fight kind of not even being in any of nintendo's stuff wasn't at nitties at night wasn't in the in either the european or the american sizzle reels wasn't in the showcase it gives me pause it doesn't mean it's bad don't interpret that as meaning it's bad but it makes me wonder why didn't nintendo call it out by name at any point so maybe I'll just take you know what, but someone has to start. So maybe I'll t- maybe I'll bite the bullet and I could be the guy that starts spreading the word. We have an audience. You should. I we do. What? Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do have an audience. I mean, we're talking into microphones for a reason. I assume. We turned off the air and are sweating at 105 degrees for a reason. I assume. I could be wrong. See, guys, <laughs> the things we do for you, like we have literally no air running because it makes a whirling sound, which would probably drive you crazy. So instead, I'm just slowly turning into a puddle of ooze and sweat, mostly ooze. But yeah, so um, yeah, we'll see. I might get. It. But anyway, surprise number two, besides Faye, was uh, one we've already mentioned in name a few times. We you could say we're saving the best for last in a way. That's debatable, but yeah. That's why I said you could say. I didn't say yeah. you should say. You uh-huh. could say, and that is the return of No More Heroes. So first and foremost, let's do a poll. How big of No More Hero fans are we? Like, have you did you play No More Heroes? I don't even know to be honest. We've never talked uh... about it ever. I played most of the first one. I never owned it. Um, I watched a friend pretty much beat the whole game. The first one? Yeah. And then I played it for a little while, and it was okay. I, I think um, 
it's just another one of those games that was unfortunate enough to be out in a post Smash Brothers world. I think in the, in the, in the, in such the, in, a strange man. In, in, in that era, it was Brawl, so right, it was out. Um, yeah, within a year. Brawl. Yeah, like I mean, like there were only so many games that like could pull me from Smash Brothers. Like Mario Sluggers was one of them in that era, but and Mario Strikers, all those Mario sports games, but mm-hmm. but not no not Travis Touchdown. You couldn't do it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, even with his it, beam sword, no, no. Luck. It looked it looked cool. It looked like it was definitely trying to pander to like the the whole video game meta references but, but, but keep in mind at that time that was much more rare it was not the first to do that to that extent i mean gex 64 did that way back in the day but like the games about games outside of WarioWare maybe were pretty much non-existent especially not in the way no more yeah, it, it was just one of those games that i'm like oh, I'll, I'll get to it eventually right and you never really did well no. you sort of did you played a chunk of the first one no, you probably I, played as much of the first one as I did, and I owned it. No, I, I played a chunk <laughs> of the first one. I got through a few of the bosses, or a few of the the hits, I guess. Yeah, the hits, yeah. And then I I, I was actually almost going to get it for PS3, because they had No More Heroes Paradise. Yeah, they poured over one and two together as a two-pack. Yep. But I remember I wanted to play with motion controls, so I just ended up not getting it. Because the, the little I did play with it, it was I, I did enjoy it better with the motion controls. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was Especially actually, that one gesture to... Uh, Charge up your beam sword. That's a classic Wii moment in waggling history. Okay, got real quiet. And I guess real so quiet. <laughs> I hope they port over or do something with the first two for the Switch. But yeah, if they did some sort of Bayonetta style like remake remaster, I mean, that'd yeah. Because the thing is, um, I I feel like I won't want to play this one until I play the first two. Well, no. So that that's even a, if that's, it, even if they're not tied the story, they're not. It's a side story. That's why it's not number three. I know, that's it. It takes place after the first one, seven years, but it's a separate side story. Yeah, that's it, but it's like, assume you know who Travis Touchdown is. You do, you've played enough. Yeah, but... He's the protagonist of No More Heroes, that's all you need, and he likes video games. Yeah, but I want to get invested in the character. All right. Well, I I can loan you No More Heroes, I have it on Switch. Do you have part two? No, I only have part one. But this, I believe... Did part two ever come out on Wii? It did come out on Wii, it was a Wii game. It was interesting in that part two, um, they swapped out, I never actually played it, but I remember reading reviews, a lot, so... No More Heroes 1, and what I like about No More Heroes is the whole game was like, you know, third-person action. You're running around, you're fighting things, uh, various things, you're exploring the worlds. They're kind of linear, but you're like, I remember that game with the chainsaw, dude, and it was like black and white. Mad World. Mad World. Um, but yeah, so that, that was part one, and then you had these crazy boss fights. And the crazy boss fights, the hits, as you mentioned, were the highlight of No More Heroes, right? They were the coolest, like the stuff you had to do, the ways you did, the yeah, creativity. There was like a cheerleader that yeah. got like her It was very Quentin Tarantino movie. to turn into like a giant mech thing, and it was crazy. It's very Quentin Tarantino. Pseudo fifty one is the Tarantino of video games. I'm just gonna say it, but um, I don't care what anyone. Yeah, thinks. I don't care what everyone thinks. You know, like don't at me. But it's no. It uh, but yeah, it was just really over top and great. So what they did for part two is they took the boss fights because those were like the key thing. And then in between the boss fights, the majority of the like exploration and level stuff was no longer exploring things um, physically in a 3D world. It was like you played these little retro fake NES retro games as like travis playing them and it was him inside the games kind of and those sort of strung together a lot part two not entirely but they were a lot more prevalent than in part one where they're more like easter eggs so part two didn't get quite as well of a reception because they sort of pivoted into these weird little like nes mini games basically um but part one is really solid and what i think is kind of interesting about the new one which is travis strikes again is that it it well it's unclear what it's going to be but they, they, say, they say they're doing indie collaborations. They say it's a, it's like the traditional gameplay you expect. But if we had part one where you're exploring 3D worlds and part two where 
to more of an extent, but not exclusively, you were playing little mini games, like retro inside games inside games. The indie collaboration could go one of two ways. Like they keep saying, okay, so what the premise is, is Travis Touchdown, he's playing video games, uh, Badman, one of the guys he tried to hit, or he hit his daughter, he killed his daughter, and now Badman's coming to kill Travis in revenge, and then they both get sucked into this made-up game console called the Death Drive MK2, it's like a VR machine, and they have to fight through six indie game worlds, and or Travis has to fight through six indie game worlds to get back out, and that's kind of the premise, but no one really knows what happens in the console, are we playing actual hotline miami like he's playing in the trailer or are you playing a world a 3d world like no more heroes one built on hotline Miami? i hope it's the latter because i mean that's what it should be and i think they have basically said that's what because it if it's the former then it's like it's almost like a best of or yeah games. and and they've said they've sort of alluded to what that is they keep saying it's the it's the you know the gameplay you expect and it's you know it's made with unreal engine 4 so why would you need unreal engine 4 to run hotline miami uh like all of it makes sense but then no more heroes 2 did do stuff like that so it could go either way potentially i'm leaning towards it being real recreations but but yeah and then even within the indie collaboration thing so they say there's six worlds collaboration number one is hotline miami collaboration two as revealed at uh, nindies at night is shovel knight pseudo 51 lifted up his shirt at the stream he's like check it out guys shovel knight he has shovel knight shirt on and then they ask him so is shovel knight can travis wear a shovel knight uh, shirt and they're like and uh, pseudo 51 is like yes yes he can is that as far as the collaboration goes? They didn't say it's its own world. There's so many questions I have about this. Like, I assume collaboration number two means it's getting a Shovel Knight world and you get to fight Shovel Knight in a crazy battle that's way excessively gory in No More Heroes fashion. But it could just as easily be a shirt. And part of the reason that makes me think that is after he revealed the shirt, Suda51 turned to the camera and was like, hey, if there are any other indie developers out there that want to be in the game like this, hit me up on Twitter. <laughs> like this. Yeah, like this. <laughs> at, at the shirt. At the shirt. Or, you know, just right after he said that there will be a shirt. And then he went on to say that uh, the team the team up with uh, Yacht Club Games, the guy did Shovel Knight, he went on to say that it's very early stages. So it's like, well, if you're building a whole world for Shovel Knight and the game comes out in 2018, how are you in early stages of only the second of six collabs in August 2017? I mean, for one, that definitely means the game's coming out late 2018. But, which, you know, there's no reason it's to assume it wouldn't. a pretty quick development cycle. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. Like, it seems... Something about this just seems like we're they're saying just enough to lead it to to lead, leave people confused. Think it's going to be episodic? No, I think it's going to be exactly what we want it to be, which is or which is going to be you know like full three D levels inspired by the indie games, oh, and there'll be extra shirts on top of that from other indie games. So you can get like twenty indies. Like we had an indie showcase, and then we had a game that's basically an indie showcase in a game. Is what I'm hoping it is. But they're saying just the right things to leave doubt. And that doesn't mean you should necessarily assume there's, like, the worst, but I feel like they could be a lot more crystal clear about it, which gives me pause. So, I don't know. I mean, ultimately, whatever form it takes, I think a NeoGAF member probably summed it up best. It's Wreck-It Ralph, but with murder. Like, you go into all these game worlds, and you just kill as Travis, and then you leave. So, um, like, I don't know. It's it's a really cool concept. I'm really excited for it. But it's just kind of like... Why are you guys, even Nintendo's being kind of cryptic in their press release, like, why don't you just say, like, 3D recreations of the worlds, or, like, Shovel Knight will be a boss. Like, you just, like, hey, we're going to collaborate with Shovel Knight. Yes, he'll wear a shirt. That doesn't tell me what the collaboration is for. Like, that, I don't know. I'm really excited for it. I'm really happy for it. I think the indie hook is really cool, and that's why, uh, you know, that's why Travis Strikes Again was in the Nindie Direct. But it's just kind of like, wh- why don't you say that one extra sentence that clears everything up? 
it leaves a little bit of doubt. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, I will say, though, speaking of Shovel Knight, props to Yacht Club Games for coming so far so fast. Like, we already knew Shovel Knight was one of, like, the biggest indie games out there. But not only are they in No More Heroes, they also announced during the Nindies at Night that they're coming out with a three-pack of Amiibo, like three more Knight Amiibos in addition to the Shovel Knight one from a year ago. They're still the only indie developer to get their own Amiibo. And they're coming out with three more Amiibo. Like, that, that's impressive. Granted, I know I know the Yacht Club game chips in to make the Amiibo possible, but still, like, there are other indie Commander video from Runner that could do Amiibo. Yeah, they pretty much transcended, like, indie game status. It's like, really cool, because I remember playing Shovel Knight before it came out at, Nindy, at IndieCade here in uh, in Culver City in L.A., like, the summer before it came out or whatever, or the fall before it came out, and, like, I was just chatting with the Yacht Club guys, not knowing that, you know, four years later, it's a huge property in gaming. You're, sorry, you're going to say something when I interrupted you. No, I thought it. Oh, I thought you had more to say. No. No? Mm, okay. But yeah, so... Um, yeah, so we'll see what happens with No More Heroes. Um, I think Shovel Knight would be my first guess of a perfect indie for it, and it's in there. And Hotline Miami's in there, which I know you... That caught your attention, right? Yeah, I would say so. What's your history with Hotline Miami? <laughs> like, I mean, you played it, right? I, oh, PS4, yeah. I guess? PS3. PS3? Yeah, it's a really fun game. Very. It's like Mr. Shifty, but the original, right? Mr. Shifty, but with more murder. Ah, I more mean, murder. Mr. Shifty has a lot of murder. All you do is murder. Yeah, I mean, you could argue it's murder. You could argue you're just knocking people unconscious. That's fair. But Hotline Miami because, full up, full on. Well, yeah, because it, right? you decapitate people, you stab people. There's like blood everywhere. You're mm-hmm. like spraying bullets. Like right. Mr. Shifty just throws things and punches. Right. Which and teleports through walls. Yeah, because I mean that works for his gameplay. Like it's it's perfect. It didn't need to be yeah. gory, but that's yeah. what Hotline Miami was. Yeah, so that that's confer- that is a perfect fit for uh, No More Heroes, and that. But I was thinking, like, what else would be good? Because we still have four, five indie collabs to go, plus shirts for others. But like, well, I don't know. What would you want to see? And I guess while we were talking about Edmund earlier, I guess just any Meat Boy, Isaac. That'd be cool. Something like that'd that. That'd be cool. I imagine it could do stuff like like when you're going through the levels, assuming they really want to throw a curveball. Maybe Shantae or like something. Ooh, like that'd that. be kind of funny. Chantevinia. I actually think I would love if they did uh, Commander Veo as a boss. Yeah, like I hope they do something like more unexpected, like like something that is completely opposite of gory. Like maybe we... Stardew Valley. Yeah, have him run Basically. through a farm. Yeah, like have the whole level like you have him do like just farming like stuff like that. And you're like, all right, where where's where's the where's yeah? Because like no more heroes. And is maybe such do a have meta... one at the very end, but I don't know, maybe yeah, even... you fight a giant cow. I don't know. I mean, but the... maybe even Minecraft doesn't really get any bigger than that. That's true. I but I started saying Commander Veo. Dude, oh, he's yeah. so he's already styled to fit in the game. He has that rainbow trail that falls around him. That would make total sense in the like, like you know, the art style of No More Heroes. But yeah, it uh, yeah, there's a lot of potential. I hope they go real crazy with it. I imagine, I mean, Shovel Knight kind of opened the door. Like Hotline Miami, you're like, okay, they might stick to aesthetically similar game. But now that Shovel Knight's in there, it's all fair game. Minecraft would be cool. I know you already mentioned it, but now I think about it. Yeah, just because I don't you fall into a block world, Travis is like, yeah. where am I? What is this? Yeah. And Microsoft has said many times they're open to collaborating with people more. I mean, look at everything Minecraft's on. Look at the Mario pack. They actually just said in an interview recently, Microsoft, that they would work with Nintendo again on something else. So, like, they'd love yeah. to do more stuff. Well, so. they, they could easily do a Zelda pack. Yeah. But, yeah, I... Oh, man, there'd be some cool stuff in No More Heroes. There's a ton of potential in that game. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, 2018, Travis Strikes Again. Time yeah. to tell what it actually like is. Expectations are high. Yeah, seriously. The like, if, if it ends up being a mini game, like a game inside game compilation, and you play all the indie games, people are gonna flip out. I hope Zuda Fifty One Nintendo are aware of that, and everyone at Grasshopper Manufacturer. I hope they 
know that they need to manage expectations appropriately and are doing so, but, but we'll see. And really that uh, just about does it for kind of our tour de force of Nindies that we're looking forward to or felt were worth highlighting. Um, I think the past week definitely addressed the concern from last episode that Nintendo did not give any developers enough marketing love. And more to the point, it showed that we are getting a huge variety of games in the months ahead that are very diverse, very interesting, and a lot of them look really fun. But beyond just like what us Switch owners are getting, uh, which, you know, more games, uh, I think it's also a really great situation for indies themselves. I mean, from an indie developer's perspective, and you sort of alluded to this earlier, but now's the perfect time to be on Switch. Like, it's in a really unique position right now where it's selling insanely well, yet has a limited number of games. So the, the games it does have are mostly great, actually. If you think about it, Switch has had a really good like first six months. Like, better than a lot of systems. There, yeah. It's kind it's of like window. Go Nintendo, like dot com but go nintendo like it's it's they're really doing well right now but um yeah but in between those games you need other stuff so for an indie it gives like the fact that switch is selling to all gives them a rapidly growing audience to sell to and then some breathing room with in the switch lineup because there's just not a lot like even if there are 20 other switch uh indie games nindies announced as there were they're not exactly competing with each other in the same way as like major third-party games yeah like, even the higher profile games like like look at mario and rabbits and pokemon yeah, Pokemon, yeah, Pokemon Tournament DX coming out. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, they're high-profile games, but I feel like you could still release an indie game in there and it won't really affect them. Or it, Yeah. It, it's not going to get overshadowed. All these games are, like, very specific and niche. They're not Mario. They're not Zelda. And even even if they are a little more broad, like, you have a situation where, yeah, you got Pokemon next month, you got Mario and Rabbids this month. On other systems, sometimes you have four or five third-party games a month you want to buy at once. And if you, you know, if you put aside 60 bucks. And you decide you don't want, let's say, Rayman Definitive Edition, so 40 bucks. That same $40 can now buy you two, maybe even three, indie games. So even like, there, even within the world of getting these games somewhat frequently, there's still flexibility because you indie developers are priced so much lower that they aren't ever directly competing with the big guys. Like, if I want Stardew Valley and Golf Story, that will cost me less, probably, than um, Mario and Rabbids. And I have money set aside for Mario and Rabbids goes down in price or whatever. Like, so it's it's kind of a cool situation for them to be in. And it also helps, of course, that um, Nintendo made porting so easy. Like, so easy. So for all these developers, even if they don't make a ton of money, the port is so simple that it's just like – it's basically free money. So there's no reason to turn it down. Like, it, to, to sum it all up, like, there's a lot of hype around Switch, but there's no burden of being buried on Switch at the moment. Or no fear of being buried on Switch. So, and if you scale that idea up to the hundreds of thousands of Switches being sold, like think of all those potential indie game buyers. Because GameStop just said the other day they went on record that the Switch is now their most successful Nintendo launch ever. It single-handedly, just the Switch has raised their year-over-year hardware sales by nearly fifteen percent, and that's just here in the U.S. Then go look over in Japan. In Japan, Switch has been doing insane. In its first twenty-six weeks. It sold 1.5 million units. PS4, in the same time frame of, the, of its first 26 weeks a few years ago, moved 665,000 units. And I do realize, yes, somewhat it's apples and oranges. PS4 is a very expensive home console. Switch is more portable-friendly. Japan loves portables. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but at the end of the day, they're both gaming consoles. They're both gaming consoles, and PS4 is the kind of go-to for indie games. Like, not the go-to, but PS4 is a very strong indie presence. So if Switch is nearly tripling its sales, it too is now going to have a very strong indie presence. Yeah. Like there's no reason. Like if you can do well on PS4, you can do triply well in theory on Switch. 
Also, Tripoli well, is a word, I, or Tripoli is a word I just made up. Um, Isn't it also a place? Yeah. It is. Is it Tripoli? That sounds right. It does sound right. Hold on. Maybe I'm thinking Sicily. No, well, Sicily is a place. I know that's why. Uh, Tripoli. To Google, I go. Tripoli. Uh huh. Is a card game. All also right. known as Michigan Rummy. Well, all right then. The more you know. That really putting the random in random Nintendo right there. But um, but no, seriously, like it's it's just so cool that you know that there's all this opportunity for indies, and now as a result, us Nintendo fans are used to not having very much or getting so many. Because like, I think this opportunity is why you see stuff like uh, Nicholas bringing every single game, not just to Switch, but physical copies, because there's they can do it. There's demand. There's room. Or, like, there's this indie developer named uh, Ratalika, I think, games. I don't know anything about their games. I'm not going to lie. But the fact of the matter is they're releasing 13 of them, six of them this year. And Nintendo's somewhat screening these. I don't think it's going to be, like, a Wii U shovelware situation. I'm sure their games are fine. I'm not trying to diss their games. But, like, developers were not doing that on Wii U, except maybe, like, Skunk Bundle. But most developers are not doing that on Wii U because, you know, you can't get a guarantee. But six indie games, 13 total, that's pretty good. I mean... Team 17, guys, Pine Worms, they're doing five on Switch right now, including Ukulele. Like, that's... And Overcooked. And Overcooked. Like, they... All these guys are really going all in because this is the moment to strike. This is when the iron's hot. Even stuff like Rocket League. Obviously, it's coming to Switch, but they just announced a Samus car, a Mario car, and a Luigi car. Mario and Luigi are eh. Samus looks really awesome. It's technically her ship. But, like, those things, that's to appeal to Nintendo fans because... You got a lot of them owning Switches. You got a lot of them with extra money. You got a lot of them that might buy your game. Might as well appeal to them. The same reason everyone's piling all their indie games on there. So it's it's the demand's there. It's because of the demand. And the cool thing is it means we're going to see a lot more indies, I think. Um, and speaking of demand... Any word on whether um, it's easier to get Switches? I know we saw a bunch of them at Best Buy when we went to the World Well, we World went to the World Championship. So we had an edge. And, there were, and, and, and I saw pictures like from other Best Buy that people were posting yeah. and just like, look, look at all the Switches. The Switches everywhere. They are upping supplies and they have gone on record to the Wall Street Journal that they are going to have significantly increased inventory. I think significant. They're going to increase their output by the holidays, for the holidays. But you still hear stories about people standing in line among 2,000 other people in Japan just to get one of 200 systems, oh, maybe yeah. a Lari system. You still see stories of people not being able to find them in the U.S. I saw one at Target randomly just by itself. No one there but to buy it. So it, and it, so they, they exist. They're out there. It is getting better. But, I mean, GameStop's saying they're still expecting demand to outstrip supply the rest of the year. In that same, you know, in the same place where they said how, how, how well it's signed, they said they don't expect it to end anytime soon. So... Demand's there, supply's getting there, but supply's certainly not there yet. But yes, when we went to the World Championships, which, by the way, props to Nintendo. Like, they really upped their game with the championship this year. That was cool. Like, they really... Definitely felt more legitimate. Yeah, two years ago when they did it, it was like a ring of folding tables with some 3DSs thrown on them. This year, they had, like, signage and demo units and Mario and Metroid. They had what? Custom walls. Custom walls. They had uh, posters with gold stamp foils. We actually, for those of you... outside... Yeah, they had a tent outside. For those of you who uh, are curious about it and haven't yet seen it because you don't follow us on Twitter like you should or you missed our tweet, uh, head over to Ramtown.com. We have an extra called Nintendo's New and Improved Qualifiers where basically we kind of walk through everything they changed and how much better it is because they did a good job this year. And Metroid, there's not much to say until it comes out. I think we'll both get full impressions once it's out. But in a nutshell, if you're looking for 2D Metroid, Sam's Returns, like 
scratches that itch it's pretty much exactly what you want but it feels more fluid almost like the aiming's really smooth the animations are really smooth the name, couldn't have, the, more, move. Yeah. The name couldn't have been more appropriate yeah yeah it, it, seriously so yeah it um metroid's good all that's good but yeah in terms of and that's why we saw so many switches because it was for uh, the, but you were saying in terms of demand oh yeah in terms of demand my transition's ruined because we sidestepped but speaking of demand how about that super nintendo classic how about that? Whew. How about that, whole thing, I mean, that debacle? I mean, we were all able to pre-order one. No, the two of us were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, up front, let's be fair, the two of us got what we needed. I actually have two. I'm going to give one away. Not give one away, but I'm going to give one in return for money to my friend who could not pre-order. But like... No, I do the same thing. Yeah, except you're not keeping one. Yeah. yeah. I'm, but I'm not but nonetheless, like we got them because we're very on top of these things. We check Twitter all the time. We have the alerts. Yeah. We're on I was driving on the freeway when I had to get mine. Yeah, but like for people that are not as invested in the Nintendo world, or even those who are and just don't have lucky timing, yeah. it was nearly impossible. It was so chaotic. I don't know how they're supposed to get one. It's in... each yeah. well, well. So let me. I, walk mean, I mean, I, have, I had friends that like I know wanted one, and they tell me like, "Oh yeah, I heard the SNES has it like went up. It's already up for sale." And then like, "Oh yeah, it's already sold out." I'm like, "What? Like I didn't hear anything." Yeah. So. That's what's, like, bonkers to me is, like, they went – they came and went with, like, no warrant. Like, let me walk through real quick how each retailer did it because they all did it differently, all equally troubling in their own ways. Like, first of all, you had Best Buy. Thursday night of last week before pre-orders were starting on that Friday, before it was even announced they are going to do pre-orders, Best Buy just rambly threw it up at uh, 10 p.m. Pacific time. And people were like, oh, hey, here it is, and it was gone within, like, 30 minutes. Next morning, around 1.30 a.m. Friday morning now. Amazon launched their pre-orders, except, again with no warning, except in this case, they further complicated things by not putting the pre-orders on the actual Super Nintendo Classic product page. Instead, they made a second page called Game Trust slash Digital Download SNES Classic, which had no pictures. It said it was a digital product, is listed as fulfilled by Amazon, and it listed all the correct product specs. And you just had to assume that might be the right thing. I happened to be awake at 1.30. I assumed it was the right thing. I bought it. It sold out 45 minutes later. They never publicized it. They never emailed the people that asked for emails that the pre-order was up. Instead, I just happened to be on NeoGAF and see a link where guys like, which I'm starting to think was a plant by Amazon to get people that were in the know to know. But he's basically like, hey, guys, what's this weird page? And it turned out to be a Super Nintendo. <laughs> so, like, that was, that was that night. So both Best Buy and Amazon with no warning, no heads up, nothing, just post them in the middle of the night east coast was completely screwed over west coast if you happen to be a night owl like me you could get lucky but even then you had to still get lucky now fast forward to the next morning right walmart puts their inventory up at 10 a.m and i kid you not it sold out in 12 seconds 12 seconds target decides to open their orders in waves right and someone figured out that if you use a simple browser command you can actually spam their pre-order button and get into the checkout phase like you just it would just automatically hit it so that was happening, which means that people who legitimately were trying to get one as they came out in waves would put it in their cart, start paying, but then apparently these spam scripts were able to bypass them and literally pluck it out of their carts because Target has a weird system where when it's in your cart, it's not actually yours until you finish the purchase. Well, in a lot of other places, if you get past, you know, if you get to payment at that point, they'll hold it for a minute or so, but Target did not. So then there's that chaos. Then there was GameStop. Now, um, smartly, GameStop, to their credit, put emphasis on in-store pre-orders, which, you know, circumvents bots entirely, circumvents scripts entirely. That's great. Each store, though, only had 8 to 10 units, 
and they were completely sold out within eight minutes. Simultaneously, on the internet side, they were putting up some pre-orders, but their website crashed so hard in the first 30 seconds that they had to put up a Think Geek redirect page, you know, their sister brand. And when they go to, and when you go to Think Geek, uh, GameStop was only selling the classics in these insane bundles where it was like, do you want a Super Nintendo classic and a like four foot wide canvas art of Zelda? It can be yours for $329. Do you want a Super Nintendo Classic and a helmet of Proto Man from Mega Man that you can literally wear on your head? It can be yours for $250. And and just as a reminder, the Super Nintendo cost $80. And they were charging $300 plus and $250 for these bundles of other weird yeah, things. They were literally scalping Super Nintendo Classics on the initial day of pre-orders. Yeah, there were some that were like $140 for like yeah. smaller things that obviously like... Well, of course, right they'll away. sold out right away because no one wanted to pay those astronomical amounts. Yeah. I mean, eventually, don't get me wrong. The Breath of the Wild is cool, but not worth it yeah. if you don't want it. And eventually people did cave in. They'd buy out all those. Yeah, they all sold out. That's yeah. what's insane. And like, So it worked. It did. And then GameStop.com eventually got pre-orders up as well. But when you went to GameStop later in the day when theirs were up, they too were forcing bundles. Granted, not with weird things like canvases, but with like strategy guides you don't need or like accessories you don't want. And, and everyone was just, like, buying it because they had no option. There's literally no option. And what's even crazier to me is that GameStop has since gone back and defended the bundling in interviews and explained that it was – these are this is in the words of uh, GameStop's senior director of merchandising, a guy named Eric Blight, to Rolling Stone's Glixel blog. This is exactly what he said. We make it more convenient. What <laughs> – I, what is more convenient to them that to, they're getting rid no, of no they're saying for customers it's more convenient because think about it you're gonna want when you buy your switch he, now to his credit he was specifically referencing a question about switch bundles where they put in accessories joy con chargers joy cons games sometimes so he's saying like hey we know you're gonna want another joy con or you want a joy con controller we're gonna go ahead and put those all in one bundle for you but the the, the thing that bothers me is whether it's think geek silly like merch bundles or guides or accessories there's nothing hard for any customer about clicking additional items to add to their cart you can even put it on the confirmation page of the first thing you want like there's no difficulty there or you know buying one thing then realizing you want something else then buying it at a later time so any sort of convenience argument obviously is out the window because like the most convenient thing would be to buy exactly what you want, but they don't give you that option. You have to get more with your Super Nintendo. You have to get more with your Switch. It's so dumb. Yeah. It's so dumb. And, and like, GameStop, I'm going to talk to you directly for a minute. I know you're a big company, and I'm going to treat you like a person. But GameStop, if your concern is you're not getting a premium on your products, it's not like you don't already make more money off Nintendo's own premium products. Like, the you know the official special bundles that you, that Nintendo puts out that you then sell, like at your own expo at GameStop Expo, which has your name in it, which you run. Nintendo showed up and announced special editions of both Fire Emblem and Mario, uh, or not Mario, wow, Fire Emblem and Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. Fire Emblem twenty dollar premium to get a couple art cards and a soundtrack and a poster. Pokemon Ultra Sun and Moon, you get both games eighty dollars with two hundred Pokeballs and again art cards. Side note, what are art cards? Are they just printing out pictures on cards? Like You've never got the art po- cards? Well, the Pokemon ones, I mean, I know what art cards are, but if you look at the Pokemon ones, they're literally just like the images we got, we, they, on white 
cardstock. We've gotten those before at Comic Con. They were just giving out. Um... Yes, but now they're making them the special bundle. <laughs> like, no, I know that's like... that's weird to me. That's why I mean, why are like why is that a bundle? So no, we yeah, got it, them for free at Comic. I got a Metroid. We, we got the... of you. I got the Metroid Sans Returns one from Prima at Comic. No, yeah, but it's we, awesome. We, but... we got them. At... They were for X and Y. I remember, like at the Nintendo Ballroom, they were just giving out like stacks of. Actually, inside of a nice like. Reshiramazekom envelope looking mm-hmm. thing and then you get like a bunch of art cards and it's like oh this is pretty cool mm-hmm. like a nice freebie at a convention right but not a special edition but that's a whole nother issue my point to GameStop is that like Nintendo's already giving you premium items that you can make more money off of I get that you have to give a cut to Nintendo but you were originally told you're selling Fire Emblem for $60 and now you're giving an opportunity to sell for 80 You're originally told you're going to sell Pokemon Ultra Sun or Ultra Moon at 40 bucks a pop now you got a bunch of people that are going to buy both because they want the art cards that's double that's $80 you're making instead of 40 or you're ganging revenue instead of 40 So, like, cool it with the extra bundles. I understand you want even more money. I get your corporation. I get you're greedy. But, like, cool it with the extra bundles. Or just stop getting inventory that you can't get rid of. Yeah. Or that. Because, like, I mean, that's it what it always feels like. It feels like. it feels like they can't sell any of the other stuff so that they have to attach it to bundles to get rid of it. To yeah, make but it just, like, it just makes them come off looking like scalpers, which is weird because they're the ones selling it initially. Like, to have day one scalping it almost like feels that worse. is really It almost feels worse because at least scalpers, like, I mean, they're scalpers. You, that's what they do. They scalp. Yeah. But you don't expect, like, a store, like, I mean, GameStop. Not, well, now you do. It's, yeah. It's kind of the norm now, but. It's honestly kind of a bummer that Nintendo even allows this. Like, they control the inventory. They can tell them, no, you gotta sell. Like, well, they can't force it, but they that's why it's manufacturer-suggested retail price, not required price. But Nintendo can make things happen if they want to. It's like, hey, if you actually want to supply you correctly with all these special editions with Super Nintendos, you gotta stop bundling. But no, Nintendo's, Nintendo's just letting it happen. Which then again, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised Nintendo's just letting it happen. Like, the Super Nintendo classic pre-order process as a whole has just kind of been a mess i mean yes i understand they're making more of the super nintendos than they did the nes see that's the thing though that bothers me the most about how these pre-orders are not true pre-orders um pre-orders like back in the day when they actually meant pre-orders um like for example my high-end ninja turtle figures mm-hmm. um they they had pre-order they had a pre-order window you could anyone could pre-order it from this time to this time and then they close that window just to assess how many they need to make, and then that was that was like their base. That was their base amount. I don't know if video games ever did that. I know that's, I don't think video games ever did. Video games never. Video did games that. for them at first it was like, all right, please buy our game, and then now they're like, damn, we can't sell our game enough after it's already out. No, we have you know to sell our bulk in pre-orders. You know what pre-orders were and are early well, money guess... to invest to make interest off of. GameStop's entire business model outside of used games is making money off pre-orders because that's five dollars they're making interest off in bulk from all these yeah. people versus five dollars you slowly make interest have to meet a quota or yes. I know at one point they did I don't know if they still yes. do but. no it's all about the money and why and why video game companies are getting on board is I guess the hype cycle that goes with it so like if I'm Ubisoft I can guarantee I'm gonna get this much attention for my game and no offense Ubisoft just picking up a hat I get this much attention for my game from players. And I'm going to get this much guaranteed revenue from players if I give them a pre-order bonus. Or say you'll get, like, you know, Mario and Rabbids. It came with a pixel pack. Pixel gun pack. I got eight special weapons, all 8-bit pixels. Look awesome. Only got because I pre-ordered. So doing something like that guarantees they'll make money back and there's less shakiness of whether, kind of what you were saying. Like, you know, it's a safe safety net of sorts. Yeah. But the only reason they're doing that is because GameStop had normalized the idea of pre-orders so much because they were doing it for the interest initially. 
quite frankly, there unless you're talking about a rare, like a hard to get game from like a niche, a niche, niche, bleh, a niche publisher like you know Atlas back in like the early 2000s or something, you really didn't ever need to pre-order anything. But now we're in this weird world where like you do because everything's all topsy turvy. Like to, to your point about the Ninja Turtle, like Nintendo should see the pre-order numbers and then make the classics. They shouldn't make the classics then hope the pre-order numbers are within the threshold. Because like that, that's what bothers my mind is like or boggles my mind, I mean, is that, like, they claim they're making more than the NES, right? They are saying, there are articles out now saying Super Nintendo Classic demand is higher than Nintendo Classic demand was a year ago, and yet, even with people using scalping bots, even with people using, there's this $110 bot you can buy called the Ding bot, and what it does is it automatically buys things for you in bulk. So even with that happening, it should not be so difficult that people are buying 110 bots for that to happen. Like, you should just be able to buy it. It is something you knew was going to be popular if you're a Nintendo. Like, it's it's partially retailer's yeah, fault. I, I mean, exactly how Marvel pre-ordering was. I was like, oh, cool, you pre-ordered it just so you can guarantee you get yeah, to the end of the day of. and now it's like a I mad mean, I, I, race to the bottom. It's like Mad Max, but over the internet, just, more peaceful and without a lack of water. We're just fighting <laughs> for that limited inventory that's out, like, if you're going to try to get it at retail, which... Yeah. It's fine. Like I, you sometimes you expect that things sell out in stores, and it's not just games. Like I know, like there was that whole tickle me Elmo thing, and a long time ago. Oh yeah, everything has this, but that's because you don't anticipate but the demand. The pre-orders are supposed to circumvent that. They're supposed to give you an idea of the demand. And even, even let's say, at least a lot of companies. Let, still let's do give it, Nintendo right. credit. Video games, for the most part, just kind of yeah. Let's give Nintendo credit for one thing. NES Classic caught them off guard. There is no doubt in my mind that that was not, and that that was an accident. It, yeah, I can't word the sentence right. It was an accident. They did not anticipate it being that crazy. They thought it was going to be kind of a smaller thing. It wasn't, so they extended the cycle of production by like four months. How are we in the same boat four months after those four months? Like, they literally just learned their lesson. They should have learned this with Amiibo, maybe. But I, I guess less so Amiibo, because you can't compare a $12 figurine to a $50 game console. But they literally just learned this lesson. I don't understand it. Like, it's partially... To be fair to Nintendo, I was starting to say a minute ago, it is partially the retailer's fault. Like, there's no denying that some of this chaos is due to the pre-ordering schemes retailers put in place. I mean, the fact that Amazon and Walmart both let you order multiple uh, Super Nintendo Classics at once, only to then go back and manually cancel anyone that exceeded one on their order, and then now presumably will do another round of pre-orders at some point, but who knows because they don't message anything. Like, that's on the retailer. You should have had the limitations in place up front, you should have been clearer with when you're going to do it, perhaps. Like, maybe not if you want to circumvent the bot. I get why it was at one thirty in the morning. But, you know, there are ways to deal with this better than they did. But ultimately, Nintendo's the people in charge of supply. They know the demand. This isn't even one of those situations where it's like, well, we're a conservative company, so we're going to make enough to meet what we think will be demand, and we'd rather lose out on potential sales and have extra inventory that we lose money on. Like, I get that. But as, as we both have said, the NES Classic proving that you can make more and you'll be fine and yet here we are granted demand is apparently higher for this one but like you should anticipate these things nintendo you have market data you're a big company you're japan's second largest company you gotta be able to anticipate these things in some way right because like here we are going through these hoops all over again it's just i don't know i mean again to be fair we got what we needed i got two one which i'm now giving away you got one but like I don't know how many listeners, let alone people in the world that want this thing, are up on NeoGAF at 1.30 in the morning just happening to read a thread where there happens to be a link to an Amazon page that happens to look really shady, but turns out to be legit. Like, there's no... Like, it's such a weird, minor, like, use case, so to speak, that I don't get... That's not acceptable. 
Like, I'm completely content that I got mine. Yeah, not to mention but that a lot of these go on during work audience. hours when everyone's working. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, unless you have a job that has like gives you a lot of spare time where you can kind of be on your phone. Yeah. Like, you're kind of screwed, and especially with the GameStop situation. Oh, yeah, and those bundles. Yeah. Like, yeah, because the fact is, like... Like, in-store pre-orders are great, but not if they're, like, in the afternoon. And something where I've been considering, what if you're a parent buying it for your kid? Oh, yeah. What if your kid's like, can I get a Super Nintendo Classic for my birthday in October? And you're like, of course you can. And then you go see the Think Geek bundle. And you see it's $329, and you get this giant canvas of Breath of the Wild, and you don't know what to do with that. Because your apartment that you and your kid live in doesn't have room for a four-foot-wide canvas. Well, you just ruined Timmy's birthday. Little Timmy. Good old little Timmy, our old go-to. His birthday's ruined because of Think Geek and Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's just... My, my only hope is that Nintendo will really ramp up supply after launch. And everyone will ultimately ultimately be able to get one of these things. Because there is a three-month availability window. That's double what the NES Classic originally was geared to be. Uh, but the way it went, I'm, like, not holding out hope. And, and you, know, you know what the worst part of all this is, actually? Single-handedly, the worst part is everything else Nintendo is doing with the Super Nintendo Classic is so cool and so perfect and so on point. Like, the one thing they're screwing up is supply. Like, the games you play on it, they have a rewind feature. Depending on the game you play, you get to go back... Anywhere from 40 seconds to like a minute or a minute and a half, specifically in case you screw up or something without having to like restart the whole process. Like Mario RPG, you can go back a big chunk while Mario World lets you rewind 40 seconds. But that's a cool addition. It kind of nods to the emulation world, but like it's a neat thing. Or like you can now add frames around your games because, you know, these games are only 4.3, so there's extra screen real estate. So you can put little frames. They're all like super 90s and ridiculous, like giant speakers or bubbles or whatever. Like mm-hmm. these little like silly fun things to bring back CRT mode. They're... Um, you know, they're, they're, the demo mode, which is something the NES Classic had, will now use footage of your own gameplay instead of just generic footage of the games that Nintendo captured who knows how long ago. Like, all these things are really cool additions to a product that already was very cool, and yet no one's going to get to experience them because no one can pre-order the thing. And what's even worse is all the marketing, the thing that's supposed to be promoting the thing that no one can buy, is so on point, too. That 90s theme trailer for the, for the system, really cool. At PAX right now, at the panel for Nintendo Minute, they gave away classic-style Nintendo Power poster covers of Nintendo... Like, Nintendo Power cover posters of, like, Star Fox 2 and Mario World, like, all these fake Nintendo Power covers. They have a full digital online manual for Star Fox 2, complete with design documents from the original game, which is just, like, really cool to see. All this stuff is so on point and so perfect. It's just, you know, you can't get one. Yeah. It's so weird. It's crazy. I think, um... These are the only products, well, I'm speaking more for the NES, and assuming it will be the same for the SNES, but these are the only products that I'll only ever see in person on, like, display, like, at the show floor. Like, I've never yeah. really not seen, like, even, like, hard to think of, like, Amiibo. Like, at, at one point, I'll see, like, yeah, we, saw, we, we, saw, we saw the Villager. Like, I mean, some of them are still not available. Like, some of them, they just discontinued. Like, we Fit Trainer, like, if you didn't get that one, that's pretty much gone. I got one in a weird... But... But at one point yeah. or another, I saw every single Amiibo in stores. Yep. I never saw an NES in the wild, except for the, one, saw at, one, in except the, for the one at Comic-Con. And I'm pretty sure I'll never see an SNES in the wild. I have a friend who has one, but I've never, like, and I have one, but I've never seen one just out in the world. Yeah, is it still in the box? Insane. Mine? Yeah. No, it's hooked up to my TV. Oh. Dude, I literally played it and gave impressions on the show and had played it since. <laughs> this I don't know, was a year ago. I figured you would just, like, put it back and then... No, no, it's on my shelf. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get the Super Nintendo. I don't have enough HDMI ports for my Wii U... Switch and both. Set it and forget it. No, no. I mean, I haven't played it much lately, but I played it for a good chunk there. I went through like almost all of Mario again. I don't know why Mario specifically. Like that's the game I played the most. But I got like 
like in one saying, I just like I'm plowed through it. NES game's the only good one there. Not true. Not true. You're going to get some angry tweets. Hey, everyone, tweet at Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O, telling him why the NES is great, and he's wrong. Anyway, um, no, but the thing is, like, this whole NES thing sums up a... The, the thing about Nintendo, what this NES thing shows me is the thing about Nintendo is that, like, for every boneheaded decision they make, I still kind of love them because ultimately I like the stuff they do. Like, they'll make me jump through a million hoops to get a Super Nintendo Classic or Amiibo a few years back. But then I'll really enjoy my time with it once I have it. Or I'll really like what comes out of it down the line. Like, Switch is probably the same for a lot of people. It's hard to get, especially in Japan. But once you do, you're glad you have it. And they really, like, give you a reason to keep using it. Like, I mean, it's a small thing. But look at how Nintendo continues to support Splatoon and ARMS. There's new free content all the time. Like, maybe getting a Switch is hard. But they don't leave you high and dry once you have it. Getting a Super Nintendo Classic is going to be hard. When you have it, you're going to get a rewarding experience out of it. Like in the case of, I mentioned Splatoon, like they're doing Splatfest every month. After the superhero powered one, uh, superhero power Splatfest is going on now, in Japan there's a McDonald's one. Like they're just constantly cranking these out. And each time, by the way, Team French Fries all the way. But uh, each, each time they push something on Splatoon, which is nearly a weekly basis, you're getting new weapons, you're getting new maps. They just rolled out Manta Marina this past week. Like there's constantly new stuff. Or in the case of yeah. ARMS, you're getting a new weapon f- with a new Ultra. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're constantly giving you new things for free, which is something other companies don't do. Or like in ARMS, you're getting new... At a rate I wish ARMS did. Right. Well, <laughs> ARMS, they're finally catching up because ARMS is giving you a new fighter that seems to actually kind of shake up dynamics a bit. Um, but yeah, there's like a good reason to be a Nintendo fan. There's all this stuff going on you get for free often. They really kind of reward you for being a fan. It's just getting to the point where you can express that fandom. There's a lot of weird stuff along the way to achieve that goal. But once you achieve it, it's great, and that's what makes Nintendo great. But it's up to that point that you're just like, "What are you doing? How how are you the second biggest com- one of the biggest companies in the world?" I don't understand. So it's a weird push and pull. Which uh, speaking of arms, that does bring us to um, perhaps the only big news that came out of Gamescom for Nintendo, which was the reveal of a new arms fighter named Lollipop, who is coming sometime in the middle of this month, I believe. Get it? Cause Lollipop. Yeah, cause she's a clown. And likes candy, and it, her stage is a Parisian street with like a cafe and a candy shop. So it's all candy related. But uh, she looks interesting. She not my favorite character design of the bunch. Not gonna lie. Obviously, that still goes to Helix. But um, I do like what she does. She can inflate her body, which both seems to boost defense when you're on the ground, and also interestingly, when you're in the air and you inflate, you like drop like a rock. Like it cancels your jump practically. It seems right. Like that's kind of the impression I got from the trailer. Yeah. You drop a lot faster, which is. In theory, that can mix up the whole, like, flow of the game, You, I would think, because you're used to, like, not in significant ways, but in some ways, it'll change no, strategies. it does, because that, um, that is one of the abilities that Ribbon Girl has to drop really fast. If yeah. you hold the jump button, you just drop down immediately, and just her aerial mobility along with that, because, I mean, when you're in the air, you're vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, just makes it really good. So that could potentially help with if But, I mean, that inflating yourself, I mean, that's just her block. Right, like when she's blocking, she just inflates. Which... Oh, it's just a standard block. I thought it was like yeah, it's something not, more. Yeah, it's just it's just how she blocks. It's, oh. it's just to make her block look more special. Right. But what makes she bounces when she lands from her jump. No, well, that's like what what makes it interesting is that she can actually block while in the air. Characters normally can't do that. The yeah. closest oh, and thing... that's when she drops like a rock. Yeah. yeah. The closest yeah. thing we have to that is um, Ninjaro when he teleports while in the air. I mean, everyone has an air dash, but Ninjaro kind of phases out, so it's kind of like an aerial defense. If which you, which is the thing that shakes things up a fair amount because no one else yeah. has an aerial defense. Yeah, like her, yeah, hers is definitely more solid than her. Like when you jump with her, you could 
you're definitely way more safe, even more safe than Twintel because depending on how they aim their arms, slowing them down may not even prevent them from hitting you. And if someone's just like catching your moves. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the arm she comes with. I mean, with the exception of the stamp one, which doesn't really feel like... The stamp one feels gimmicky. Well, <coughs> sorry. It's no different than the, the Helix one that also covers your screen in ink. I know. That also but, feels gimmicky. That feels like something on Mario Kart. Cause I mean, it is, is. <laughs> kind of effective, but um, it's not what people are going to gravitate towards. I mean, the nunchucks, they look like they repel punches, which is like an automatic, like, oh, all right, this is going to be really good. Yeah. And the shield that actually reflects and can cause you to hit yourself with That's your own arm. interesting to me. Yeah, that one, like, if people can master that one, I could see that one being used a lot. But... I don't know, but sometimes, like, just going full aggro, like, seems to work. Because um, they recently posted... Or I guess they just recently added a place where you can see the, the highest-ranking players. So you can oh, yeah, see... they tweeted that out the other day, Yeah. Too. And it looks like people are just going the same, like, double arms. Like, the top players, like, oh, obviously Min Min with, like, double Ram yeah. Ram. That sounds hilarious. <laughs> yeah, by the way, in case you guys are running, you're not listening. <laughs> you're not listening to a podcast that's teaching nursery rhymes to children. You're listening to a podcast of adults discussing video games. That sound like nursery rhymes for children. Oh, I, the more I like listen <laughs> min, to min that, and ram ram. Like, yeah, like the top tier is Min Min using ram ram. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's Nintendo. You gotta work on your name. Hey, did you know that Lollipop can stop Min Min's ram rams? It just sounds like, <laughs> oh god. Yeah, but I mean, anyway. I don't know. I, I really do like the nunchuck because then if I give them to Ninjara, it's like Ninja yeah. Turtles. I'm kind of. I think the jump for me and the reflecting shields are the two that when I was watching the footage, I'm like. Well, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> like, that and, was the and the next thing is mind. that, I mean, when you look at those arms, you have to think of it as, like, especially, I mean, this is version 3, it's kind of, ex- well, actually, I don't know how many people have this game, but it's kind of expected that you've already played with the game a while, yep. and you're just going to unlock them for your character, because you already know what character you like. But if there are new characters, they may want you to try something oh, yeah, new, yeah. perhaps find a new a new fave, a new uh, main. Oh, yeah, like, um, like right, I mean, I just like Ribbon Girl's mobility, but... I love Min Min and her Ram Ram. But, no, honestly, I use Min Min. But also, do kind of like Lola Pop. I like her whole candy. I do like aesthetic. the clown look. I yeah. not my favorite design, but I think like they embraced the clown look well. Like they went. They oh, yeah. I, 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 like, I just like her her goofy fun look. Um, yeah. Helix is more goofy, weird, but in a good yeah. way. It's just more like, like like whoa, this is weird. I'm I'm glad yeah. this is in here, but he's kind of creepy. <laughs> he makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, right? he, he's like yeah. Pretty much. What, what's cool about Lollipop is most female characters in video games... I'm going to get like super like, oh, controversial. Most female characters <laughs> in video games well, are sexualized me. in some some way. Twintel's sexualized, there's no doubt. Yeah, uh, but I mean, that's kind of like... I know, that's just thing. a weird... like I know, but I, I'm just saying, generally speaking... Yeah. Generally speaking, well, no, most no, female video game characters, there are no, exceptions, mainly in Nintendo's world, but in general, oh, no, yeah. they tend to be sexualized. Well, so yeah. it's really cool to see this dorky girl that's a clown that's like polar opposite sexualized being in here. Like it's nice that Nintendo's like, especially Nintendo. Well, yeah, the I mean, specifically like arms in that, general, like with yeah. the exception of Twintel, which I mean, that doesn't mean that Twintel, they should have designed her another way. I mean, no, no, it's, there's nothing wrong with being sexual. Yeah, like just, you, you can have a sexual character, you have a non-sexual character, but I mean, it's nice yeah. that that they're bound- they are both and they're not like the new girl isn't also sexualized. Like, I mean, like whatever, yeah. we want to make a clown, she'll be a girl. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, just look at the other ones too they're all yeah that's right yeah that's right yeah. Nintendo in particular is good about that but it's just because mm-hmm. I feel like there. if this was Capcom sorry Capcom if this was Capcom they're coming out with a new female character to get people back into Street Fighter what are the odds she'd be wearing something skimpy and what are the odds she'd have some weird proportions I'm just saying or Dead or Alive would do that for sure it, it, it's really funny that you like you brought you bring that why up. did Capcom just not do that no 
Um, did Capcom just do that? Am I right or wrong? Like in the last week? Am I right or wrong though? Um, Capcom just announced a new female fighter for how sexual on a scale of like um, nine. Ah, Maybe? I told you. I told Maybe you. Maybe eight. I don't know. I Dude, mean, I, I'm telling you. Like I mean, that's well, my point. <laughs> well, that's the thing about like I guess Capcom. Like they they make they make some amazing character designs, but the funny thing is that they're mainly for the male characters. Like they allow themselves to go like super Hulk. Like you have Zangief, and yeah. then you have. Like Ryu, like the male, the male character usually have, vary in shape a ton, but the female characters kind of have the same body shape. They all play very differently. They all have different personalities, whatever, but they all have the they're same. They're all certain hourglass. They're yeah. they're all stereotypical hourglass, mm-hmm. like like super hourglass, sexualized female. Yeah, so like, I didn't know Capcom and, did. And that. this one's no different, <laughs> but I mean, the character itself looks very interesting. Like they have a really interesting like walk animation. That's I don't know, it's really different. Like the way, yeah. I mean, I'm talking, but yeah, if we're just speaking design wise, yeah. The funny thing is also, like, one of her... She's, like, an Egyptian um, character, and one of her outfits is, like, she wears, like, a... I mean, they're all kind of skimpy on the skimpy side, yeah. obviously, but one of her uh, alternate outfits is her just wearing, like, bandages, like a mummy, but they're, like, strategically placed to be, strategically like, placed. Like, 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 she's barely clothed. Right, of course, of course. Yeah. But, yeah, that that's kind of my point, is, like, Nintendo in general is very good about having characters actually could appeal to girls, in ge- like, young girls. Like, again, nothing wrong if you... If you want to play as a sexualized fire, be my guest. Yeah, and but I mean, like, the, I mean, not every five year old girl wants to only be represented by like Cammy, you know? Yeah. So like it's kinda it's nice that Nintendo especially has been aware of this and they release a new character who's literally a new angle of marketing for the game. And they're just like, screw it, we don't need to go for the like typical demographic. Yeah, we, because, uh, we know half our players, I think it was like fifty two percent in the DS game, uh, DS days, are female. So we'll just make a girl. Yeah, because the last like, character the announcer Street Fighter was another like Zangief type of guy that's like super huge. He was like, oh, I remember him. Yeah, I, I did see him. Yeah, I didn't see. Yeah, the I think new his one name out. was Abigail, and he looks. His name's Abigail, and he's what? Yeah, he wears like tires on his arms, and huh? The Abigail thing's throwing me in a he, loop. He but... takes like, like twice. I don't know. He's like he takes up like half the screen. He's right. Pretty pretty crazy. But yeah, it's it's just like it's nice to see Nintendo do Lollipop. Like I like Lollipop just for what she is. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, mean, granted, I'm not a big fan of the design itself, but I like the conceptually yeah, I mean, not every character will no of course it. not and i don't expect it to but but yeah so that that was cool a, to a welcome addition nonetheless yeah yeah and that um normally at this point of the show we switch over to what we've been playing are you looking up the capcom girls that we're doing right now i was trying to yeah oh you can show me after or we could i mean oh, we already yeah. sort of described it out loud but um, what i was gonna say is um normally at this point in the show is when we do what we're playing and I, I can't speak for you, Angel, but for me at least, I was going to talk about Mario and Rabbids, and I was excited to talk about Mario and Rabbids. And I've been playing Mario and Rabbids, and I realized, you know what? At this stage of how much I played, my are impressions you are basically – you could say I'm rabid about it. But at this point in what I've played, I'm basically where I was – like my impressions would no, be no different than at E3. I've played more than 20 minutes, but but my impressions are basically – like I'm so early in the game that's just like a rehash of what I said at E3. So I'm going to wait two weeks. I'm going to give deeper impressions when I get into further worlds and whatnot next episode and instead in this episode uh we thought we might revisit the wii u for a moment because uh it it recently came out that miiverse is gonna be shutting down completely on november 7th of this year and in my opinion Uh, the end of an era remember our first um actually it wasn't our first but remember our extra when we're talking about the art of miiverse the art of miiverse extra that we put together which by the way if you guys haven't seen it go ramtown.com go to extra scroll back to like page four or something it was one of our most successful extras. It had it was evergreen. We were getting people like, t- like emailing us with like, "Hey, can, can you include me and whatnot?" 
by the way, no offense to those people, their art wasn't as good as what we highlighted, which is why we didn't make a second one. But um, no, the people were emailing us like years after about it. It was kind of funny, and like we still get traffic on it now. We actually got a spike because of the Meverse closure. But yeah, it's it's there's some really cool art on Meverse, and like if you look past the weird memes and the fact that like everyone is always sharing the same image of the where they are in a game, but making different, you know, like everyone's like I got to this part of the game, and you're like, oh, cool. And yep, that Capcom fire is somewhat sexualized for sure. Yeah, not like a super. Crazy it's not. Book, it's not super. But the but costume, like, yeah, yeah like, there's yeah. there's definitely skin showing just because he. For those who didn't know, he just showed it to me on his iPad. I didn't just randomly like have a vision of it. <laughs> but but um, you're just like in mid-sentence. You're just talking about it and just pop it. Yeah, just be like, yeah, but man, Miiverse, oh, that is a sexy Street Fighter. No, that didn't happen. But um, yeah, what was I saying? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, a fluster. Oh, my oh, God, so it's fluster. so hot. It's so hot. It's not because of the sexy Street Fighter. Um it's just really hot out. Right now outside, just for the record, it's 95 degrees. So just so people know what we're bearing through here. But no, what I was going to say about Meverse is like looking past the memes, looking past the really great art, looking past the fact that everyone always made the same – like they posted the exact same screenshot and all made the same joke, but they all thought they were original. I'm guilty of that. I used to do that. But uh, it actually – Meverse actually powered a lot of online features of Wii U and 3DS that simply aren't going to work come November. And to me, that is a big issue with them closing down Meverse. I mean, it starts from small stuff and gets to big stuff. Like, the more manageable things that we're going to lose are community features. So, say goodbye to being able to comment on levels in Mario Maker on Wii U. Say goodbye to seeing art scattered around the original plaza of Splatoon 1. Say goodbye to drawings flying by in the background of Smash Bros. Miiverse stage. Yeah. Uh, well, they never flew by. They just appeared. It's well, you know, I mean, they're just there. Yeah, but say goodbye to that. Uh, say goodbye. Here's where it starts ramping up. Funny thing say goodbye I... to replays in Mario Kart 8 and Smash Bros. You cannot upload any replays come November because apparently you tunneled through Miiverse to get to YouTube or something. You so they're gone. You could upload Smash Bros. replays to Miiverse? Uh, so according to Nintendo, you could. Huh. I didn't know that either. But if they say <laughs> it, I'm going to trust it. Um, but but even bigger than that, here's one you're going to find kind of annoying, even though you don't necessarily do these things on your Wii U anymore. Say goodbye to tournament mode in Smash Bros. Say goodbye to tournament mode in Mario Kart 8. For whatever reason, tournaments will not work when they turn off Miiverse. Weird. I don't know if I they do mean like local revisiting... or online, but they just said tournaments Well, they will only not have work. online. If they have well, local... Yeah, no, but like Mario Kart, I think, had a local. Oh, I don't think so. But no. oh, oh, and say goodbye to level sharing in Smash. Make a cool level, want to send it to your friend's Wii U? Nope. Gone. Well, Here's the craziest one. Here's the craziest one. Now, this is a much smaller game, but you literally won't be able to unlock everything in Mario vs. Donkey Kong Tipping Stars anymore. Because oh, in tight. Excuse me. So, Tipping Stars, it, for those who recall, was a 3DS game with a really cool premise. It kind of flew under the radar back on 3DS, but it has a really cool premise where um, you can build your Mario vs. Donkey Kong levels, you know, where the minis march and all that, put them online, and then depending on how good your level is, other people can actually tip you in-game stars. And the more stars you get, the more uh, things you unlock to build more levels. So it was literally like a little like self-perpetuating ecosystem of level creation. You actually got feedback from people knowing you made a good level because they would tip you more stars and more stars and more stars. That's going to be gone. You will not be able to tip for stars. You will not be able to see stars. The problem with that is a bunch of the level-building objects you can unlock take more stars than what the built-in game content can grant you at its max. Because you were encouraged to go tip people and earn tips, and that's how you got more. So there are parts of this game, Mario vs. Donkey Kong Tipping Stars, that will never be unlockable once Miiverse shuts down on November 7th. They're not patching it. It just will stop working. So you won't get the full tool set. You won't be able to do everything in the game. 
because they're turning off Miiverse. Uh, like, to me... This is exactly what people feared when it came to, yeah. like, with online games for the most part. Yeah. Likewise, Game & Wario, they're not playing the patch Sketch. Sketch was that mode, which is basically Pictionary, but it put all your Pictionary pictures into Miiverse instantly. Apparently, this one's a little less clear because Nintendo didn't say it themselves, it, ping, it supposedly pings the server before you start Sketch to make sure it's there. If the server's not there, Sketch does not work. So there's an, And they're not patching it, supposedly. And that's not even mentioning third-party games. I never... I played a Forable Space Adventure with you. I never beat... We never beat it together, though. The ending does something with Miiverse. I don't know what. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you beat it? I don't remember. I know we got far together, but I don't know if I we know, I, I think I beat it with someone else, but it's such a long time ago. Yeah, but whatever it did with Miiverse, it's ending, gone. Like, it's just all this stuff is just gone. There's something like 100 games in total affected by the closure of Miiverse. And for Wii U... I almost get it. I mean, the system was dead in the water before Switch even came out, right? Like, it's been dead for a couple of years, honestly. And if you're Nintendo... Some would say when it came out. Yeah, some would say it was dead on arrival. But uh, from Nintendo's perspective, like, I kind of get it because, you know, what... there are 13 million out there. But A, how many people are still playing those 13 million? And B, is it really worth the upkeep for Nintendo to keep that running for the one twenty-fifth of the people that may still be using tournament mode in Smash Bros. once a month. You know, like, I kind of, sort of get it. I don't think it's necessarily smart of them to do, but they're going to want to cut costs. They're going to cut costs, and this is how you do it. However, I do not at all understand why they're doing this on 3DS. Miiverse should not be dead on both. Like, the 3DS is alive and well. They're literally releasing games as recently as June with Kirby's Blowout Blast that put Miiverse front and center on every single screen. Blowout Blast and Team Kirby Deluxe a month prior have giant Miiverse icons in the center of the touchscreen at all times. And now you're telling me three months, four months after the game comes out, five months, it doesn't do anything? Like, what about Animal Crossing? Even their evergreen tiles are getting hurt by that. Remember when they did the Welcome Amiibo update for Animal Crossing New Leaf? One of the things they added was Miiverse sharing. Less than a year later, Miiverse is dead. And that's a game they continue to push and sell. That's an evergreen title for them. Like, I don't know how this makes sense, really, unless their thinking is the system really isn't going to be alive past 2018, in which case, why not leave it on until tw- end of 2018? Like, if anything, this confirms my long-held theory that the 3DS is going to be over and done with in exactly the same time frame it took the GBA to die after the DS came out, which was about a year and a half. Like, this really solidifies it to me. It's just so weird. Like, you're selling... The 3DS you keep claiming is, like, a new a system you plan to sell and a system you plan to support, and then you pull the rug out from under its online services? That's weird. I don't know. Yeah, very unfortunate. Personally, personally, I think what actually bums me out the most about Miiverse is not that stuff. Like, that sucks, but I, quite frankly, I don't play my Wii U anymore, so whatever. But what, bum, what bums me out the most is what Miiverse represented, kind of, in, like, the broader picture, like, the Wii U picture. Um... Like, Wii U's original pitch was all about the asymmetric gameplay and everything, right? And we've debated here on the show a couple of times whether or not it succeeded at that promise. Um, I don't think it really did. There are some exceptions, of course. I know you have one you want to mention in a few minutes. But generally speaking, I don't think the asymmetric thing took off like Nintendo said it would. But one thing that Wii U did do, what I thought uh, incre- was incredibly well done, was it became Nintendo's most social game machine ever. I mean, local multiplayer has always been synonymous with Nintendo. It's been there since the N64, really. It, it, that's there in force with Wii U. But there's also this whole other side on Wii U of, like, this online community. It felt like you were part of a bigger Nintendo community that you have not felt prior to Wii U and have, do not feel on, Wii, on a Switch. Like, the second you boot up, 
you see what people are playing. You see their thoughts on what they're playing. You see what's trending. You see what's relevant to you as a Nintendo fan at that particular moment in the like broader Nintendo universe. You go into a game like Mario 3D World. There are people giving you tips on what to do in the map. You go into Wind Waker HD. Little bottles float out of the ocean that have tips from other players or little funny things from other players, like real people that won't be there anymore. You go into like Splatoon, as I mentioned. The art, that was a huge part of Splatoon. The Splatfest and everything. Granted, Splatoon 2 carries it on just within the Splatoon game. But all this stuff used to be universal across all of Nintendo's Wii U games. And um, it just feels weird when you like now go to the Switch, you boot it up, and all you see is some menu icons. It's just you and some menus. There's no like bigger picture that you're part of, so to speak. Like You jump onto an online match, you play some people, you move on, that's it. You have a friends list, and Nintendo does a great job of like showing you who's online of your friends. But there's no like broader Nintendo community that you can like connect into or talk with or find new people besides just I raced you in Mario Kart. I don't know who you are. I can't talk to you. Let's be friends. Like Miiverse is like a whole it's like a forum. It's like a Twitter almost. It's like a whole little thing. It's really cool. And I realize it sounds very cheesy to be like, oh, the Nintendo community is dead. I missed the, like being part of something special. But like it really was kind of something special. Like I liked how Miiverse sort of brought the fan base together in a way that really no other online gaming has ever done and now won't do because Miiverse is dead. Like, it was like a living, breathing, like, Nintendo hive. Like, Nintendo community. It was really cool. It was how Sakurai decided to reveal Smash Brothers and probably just trickled it every day. Yeah, and then people were freaking out on Miiverse. Or, like, even, like, things like the bad Miiverse post Twitter account. Like, everyone could chuckle about it, but then a bunch of people would go to those posts and actually, like, talk to the person yeah, that posted it, like it's, it's weird I remember it's Nintendo used it a lot they now. would like post like videos from it like from their headquarters it's like random stuff that only they could do because they had like special yeah, I mean granted they still do that on Facebook and Twitter and no, yeah, but it was, but it was, it's less so something about it being there yes. just felt like I agree special it's just that word yeah it's like because if I go on Twitter and, and don't get me wrong you on Twitter on more so Twitter and Instagram than anything else but you can find a niche you can find you could carve out your own little corner of Twitter where you only talk about Nintendo that's what I do and then people follow you that like Nintendo. That's true. But there's something cool about being able to go to the like E3 limited time Miiverse community and say, hey, guys, Reggie Miyamoto and Iwata just walked past me. This is crazy. And like 50 people leave comments like, oh, my God. Yeah, did I know they had like special Miiverse? Like they had the Year Luigi one. Yeah, yeah like it was really cool. It's just like it was kind of like a forum combined with gaming, combined with like all this real time stuff that happened in your games. It just felt like this much broader thing than what online gaming is like now back on switch which i don't get wrong i love switch i think the online super smooth minus voice chat but all you do now you ping a server you connect with some dude in holland you play a race of mario kart you go your separate ways and that's it you lose a lot of the community element that meverse brought together so i don't know like to me death of meverse is less about oh some games aren't working although that sucks too and more about like this experiment nintendo did that was really cool and really connected is over and dead and buried before it really got a chance to shine. Like, if they did that on Switch, I bet you it would have done a lot better because Switch had a bigger audience. Yeah. Now, to Nintendo's credit, as someone that works in online communities, I get moderation for this was nearly impossible. I get that there is really no money to be made in, in this unless you put ads on it, which um, they sort of did on the web, but sort of not. I mean, I guess you can, in theory, hope that word of mouth about games would pe- make people buy more games. But you can't guarantee that would happen. So you're investing a lot in an in online infrastructure that may or may not pay off. I totally understand that. And I totally get that Like, not very many people necessarily used it. Everything I just described, I did passively. I have maybe 40 posts on Miiverse. Or maybe like 100. But I stopped using it after two years. But I loved seeing the Warwar Plaza when I blew up this uh, Wii U, which is now gone. When they do the update on November 7th, it's just going to be the generic, like, connect to the internet sort of warnings. Um... 
I love seeing it in games. I love seeing like weird little art in Splatoon, and Splatoon being the exception, everything else is basically gone. So it's it's just weird. It's like a step backwards. I feel like. So, that's my two cents on Miiverse. I mean, obviously, this is just one component of Wii U. The other half of its of being like the most social system is, of course, um, the local multiplayer, which is obviously the larger half. They're not equal halves, and that's still going strong even without Miiverse, and will continue because I mean, you. We're telling me the other day you randomly got back into Nintendo Land, which A, how did that happen? And B, how's it hold up? Because that seems like pinnacle local multiplayer in Nintendo. Yeah, we had, um, because of my sister's recent wedding, we had a bunch of relatives from Mexico come over. And with cousins comes their children, so our young nieces and nephews, like around like 12, 14. And they love multiplayer games, so we figured, like, all right, what's like a good one that we could play with them? And on the Switch, like, a lot of them, like, we're like, all right, they probably won't enjoy Overcooked. It's, like, a little too much. And we right. remember Nintendo Land. And we just started playing it, and, like, they loved it. And we were like, wow, I forgot how polished, fun, and, like, easy to set up, like, this game is. It's just, it was a blast. And then after that, um, we we, we played with a friend that we usually played this Nintendo Land, too, like, back when it was, like, our game on rotation. And, and he was, like, the one that, like, we got super competitive with. We, like, pretty much memorized, like, the... We had our own meta in in Nintendo Land, like strategies and stuff like that, and it was just so so fun. Like I wish this game they brought back. Like it could work on Switch. Yeah, like I, I would say you like, just need two switches. Like it doesn't just hold up well. Like it needs to still be relevant. It's the shame that it never was. Like even like the other games, like the Donkey Kong one. Like we played that one. To so death what also. were the ones you mainly played? Which main game? I'm, let me guess: Animal Crossing, Mario, uh, the Mario Tag one, Mario Chase, Luigi's Mario Mansion, Chase. Animal Crossing Sweet Date, um, DK's Crash Course. We mm. played a lot. F Zero. Oh, the F Zero one's great. Yeah, it's sad that that's the most recent F Zero release we've gotten, and that was the a mini game. I mean, the one we played the least ago. was probably the the Yoshi one, but even then, like that one was still like really really fun. Yeah. No, I bet you played less of but the, uh, but the Throwing Star one. That's only single player. Yeah, yeah, pretty much because I mean, we thought of the multiplayer game. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's Nintendo Land's like Nintendo Land was the beacon of light and hope that asynchronous gameplay would actually catch on, and yeah. then Nintendo didn't bother following it up with anything, and that was that. And it's funny because like some third party games do well. Before, we, I mentioned Affordable uh, Space Adventure before. That was a great use of asynchronous, or, or not asynchronous, a uh, symmetric. Like, the fact that, you know, one person's doing one thing on TV, the other was controlling the ship's, like, inner workings on the gamepad, that was cool. There's a lot of cool stuff, but just the Wii U never fully delivered. But yeah, I, I, I'd love to see Nintendo Land 2 happen on Switch. I mean, you need two Switches, but you have one person do handheld mode, you have the other it's people possible, on the TV. but I don't know if they're going to do it. I mean, back in the day, they used to require you to have multiple 3DSs, multiple... Back in the day. They require you to do have multiple 3DSs for multiplayer 3DS games. Actually, if, if you put it clear enough on the box, that's true. It you has, can do it. It has single-player games, it has two-player games i could it's definitely doable and it, honestly what? like honestly this this really works well if you're playing like if you advertise it more for like for the portable side yeah because i mean everyone has their own screen so it works out they can even create new mini games for that i mean i don't know let me put it this way if nintendo just the other day announced that they're gonna require some games to use a micro sd card even when buying physical and if that micro sd card requirement is gonna be a big bold banner at the top of the system that's literally as tall as the switch logo they can put a similar banner to say multiple switches required. If they're doing that stupid SD card thing where like you down you have a twenty five gig game, but we're gonna put it on a sixteen gig card, and then you have to download the rest. But the game will still work as just a card; you just won't have all the features to download the rest. Like, if they do that stupidity, which they are now doing with NBA two K, um, yeah, they can afford to say you need two switches. 
or full experience requires or multiplayer requires two switches or something like that like there's workarounds or maybe you do it in a situation where half the games don't require it, half the games do so you still get something and you just have to be very upfront about it but if they're willing to do that stupid thing with the sd cards i think i don't think it's outlandish that's that's my my thought at least but yeah 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 anyway i guess i pretty much does unless there's anything else about Nintendo Land you want to mention? I love Nintendo Land. I wish it. I wish more came of its well, potential. Good. Probably, probably getting back into it soon, but mm-hmm. not yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I. Uh, all right. Then in that case, um, we're back in two weeks' time, ladies and gentlemen. On right, like you gave me a funny look. We are segueing away now, right? Sure. Wait, what did you just say? No, nothing. What did you just say? I think I totally misheard you. I did not say anything. No, and you said you're getting back into. I said that's pretty much it. Oh, okay, cool. You gave me a weird look. Anyway. So this is the part of the show where everything just falls apart and we melt away in the heat. But uh, no, we're going to be back in two weeks' time on September 15th for a pretty good episode, I'd like to think. We're going to have Mario and Rabbids impressions, as I mentioned, um, and all the latest news and whatnot. And possibly a scene, depending on how this SD card thing I just brought up developed, that broke like right before we were recording, like the day, the night before. So we're going to see how that shakes out. Maybe we'll have more thoughts on that. But definitely whatever news, uh, maybe some indie games. There's a lot to discuss, so don't miss it on September 15th. Uh, to make sure you don't miss it, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Ram Nintendo. I, uh, you can follow us individually. I'm JSR7. He is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on literally anything you can think of. We are probably there. We've been expanding out lately, Player FM. Um, yeah, and, and one thing of note, just in case you missed it, Two things to note. Just in case you missed it, we do have an extra up that gives you an inside look at the Nintendo World Qualifiers that came here to LA. Check that out for foes and impressions on how that event went over at the site. It is directly next to this episode. And more of the point, I know I said follow us on Twitter, but I really mean follow us on Twitter. You might have missed that we did a Flash giveaway the other day. We didn't announce this. It was just kind of on a whim. We gave away DLC for uh, Shantae Half-Genie Hero for the Wii U version because we want to keep the Wii U alive. Uh, we gave away the DLC that lets you play as Risky Boots. And it was 48 hours. You just retweet us. You won. And if you're not following us, you're going to miss out on giveaways like that. We may do bigger things. And you'll know if you don't follow. So be sure to follow. And again, we will see you guys in two weeks' time on September 15th. And I really need a cold shower right about now. It is so hot. <laughs>